You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and SJ Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, what's going on, everybody? On this intro, I would like to ask you a question. So, I know it doesn't matter, and it seems like a trivial, silly thing, but we've been doing this podcast for a while now. It's It's been on uh, about four years, which is kind of crazy. And I started in the beginning, you know, my early interviews. Actually, interview number one, I had a different intro altogether that was a lot longer, and I ended up cutting it down into the one that you know, where I, right before I'm talking to the guest... And welcome to the Tone Mob Podcast, show about guitar tone, the people behind it. I'm your host, blah, 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 here's blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking about doing away with that, because now I'm doing these intro spots, and it just seems like extra fluff that doesn't need to be there, and maybe maybe I can figure out a different thing, but at the same time, I understand how if, you know, if this is a show you really enjoy, if getting rid of that would kind of, I don't know, be a little bit, I don't know, weird. I don't know. You tell me, so let me know. Shoot me an email, info at tonemob.com, or, you know, start a topic in the Facebook group if you're in there. If you're not, go to Facebook, you can type in The Tone Mob, you'll find it, and we're all in there, hanging out, answer the questions, we'll let you in. Anyway, yeah, just get in touch with me in whatever way you are accustomed to, and uh, let me know what you think. I'm thinking about getting rid of that part, just to, you know, tighten it up just a skosh. It's just a, seems like a little bit of fluff that doesn't need to be there, so... You guys tell me. All right. My guest today is Scott Middleton. He plays in a band called The Cancer Bats, which you may have heard me mention a time or two on the show. I know I don't give them enough love for how often I listen to them. I listen to them probably, I don't know, two, three times a week. They're one of my very favorite bands. He's got amazing tone. He's an amazing guy. And we talk for two hours. So we got two hours, a solid, actually, I think it's like two hours and 18 minutes or something like that. So you got a lot to look forward to. And if you want more, I usually say this at the end of the show, but uh, in this case, we'll just roll it into the beginning. If you want more, Scott and I also recorded an extra hour for Patreon. We've got another 60-plus episodes of content over on Patreon for those folks. It starts at just 5 bucks a month, and you get access to that, and there's a couple other levels above that that you can check out if you like and are interested in helping support the show. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the episode with Mr. Scott Middleton. Here we go. 
everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, a show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Scott Middleton from Cancer Bats, and I'm super stoked about it. What's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for having me on. Dude, this is going to be great. I can already tell. Uh, yeah. We've, we've got, we've got, we're, we're, the juices are already flowing. We're doing good. Things are, uh, <laughs> <laughs> things are happening. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, I, as I said off the air, I'm a huge fan of Cancer Bats. They've been, uh, I saw you guys for the first time. Well, the only time I've actually got to catch you live, unfortunately, but I saw you guys live, uh, about 10 years ago when you were touring with Gallows. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it just like blew my face off. And Amazing. and I know there was like hardly anybody in the crowd at the Hawthorne Theater in Portland, but I still think about that show all the time. So, oh, yeah, I love that venue. We've played there a bunch of times. It's always. Good. Yeah. It yeah, was a that wonderful was, show. That was probably our Great. first time there, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would make some sense. I had like just found you guys. And so I saw that and I was obviously a big Gallows fan and mm-hmm. a friend of mine uh, took me there as sort of a pre-wedding present. So oh, that cool. was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, good friend. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we got we had a good time. It was a it was wonderful. But what what this this has kind of led me to is like out of you know I listen to a, a quite a quite a variety of different bands and different music, and Cancer Bats tends to be in the heavier end of things of what I listen to. It's oh, not cool. like necessarily like the most like you know I can go a little more extreme, but that's that's about my level. And you guys have consistently always had in my opinion, some of the best guitar sounds, you know, pretty much from as far as I'm aware from day one, I'm always just like, man, Scott's guitar sounds awesome. And so this is a, this is a great fit. I want to know, I want to know the whole story. Like would it, let's <laughs> uh, start how, start how you started with the band and you know, yeah, the production I mean, stuff you're doing and everything. So yeah, for sure. So like, um, I guess if we rewind to about, uh, 2004, um, I had been playing in a sort of uh, black metal, death metal, metalcore kind of band called that the Mercy of Inspiration, which was just, you know, very full on, a lot of blast beats, a lot of tremolo stuff, um, and which was cool and great. And I, I had a ton of fun with that. But um, kind of like you, I listened to a lot of different kinds of music and I found so many bands were doing that style at that time. Um that I was kind of just, it just wasn't that fresh for me anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. like I found like a lot of the, you know, like Swedish metal and stuff that I'd been listening to since I was like 12 was all of a sudden really the flavor of the moment, which I just kind of found boring. So, um, I'd always talked to uh, about starting a band with, uh, Liam, our singer. Um, and one day I went down to visit him in Montreal where he lived and I was living in Toronto and um yeah we just jammed one day um and you know just for fun just to see what happened and we wrote a couple songs and it was kind of literally nothing was pre-planned it was just like spontaneous and that was kind of like really exciting for me just this new creative thing and i was just like i'm gonna try to play guitar differently than i had before you know and really sort of like try purposely not to play the most metal thing i could you right. Know, and, and I wanted to incorporate just different kinds of voicings and something a bit more melodic. And because my previous band, we had like this sort of like RMO was that we didn't repeat any riffs in a song. Like that was our, 
version of creativity was like, okay, we're just going to put the most amount of cool riffs we can in one song and they don't <laughs> need to repeat because each one will stand on its own, which, you know, worked to a point, but that's also a bit ridiculous at the same time. So um, I want to do the opposite. I wanted to write really classic, catchy songs. I just, you know, wanted stuff that, you know, people could remember and put on repeat and sing along to or hum the riffs in my head the way a lot of the music I grew up listening to did anyway. And, um, and yeah. And anyway, so we, we had a blast, uh, just on that one practice. And then I was, uh, I was back at, uh, Toronto, like the next day. And then Liam called me right away and was just like, listen, man, I want to do, I want to do cancer bat so bad with you. When can you come up? Like who else can we get in the band? Um, you know, and we just sort of formed our band from that. And, um, you know, I remember at the time it was kind of my, my leftover rig for my metal band, which at the time was like, I was using a lot of like uh mess boogie stuff. Like it was a, um, a simul class 295 stereo power amp that Mesa made. And I had the rectifier recording preamp and that was kind of like my rig. And, you know, I, I thought it was cool just cause, you know, at that time, again, like Mesa stuff was like really big. Everyone was playing it. And so for me, I was like, okay, yeah, this is just like my, the version I could afford to put together. And, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, like in my old band, no one really ever like complimented me on the tone, but then all of a sudden when cancer bats started playing shows, people were kind of coming up to me and be like, oh man, your rig sounds amazing. And I was like, what? Like no one ever, no one's ever told me that before. What, what's different? And it was like, (laughs) and it's like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of. It also has to do with like what you're playing and, you know, a couple years later and I was like, you know, still pretty young at this time. It's like I got, I was getting better at guitar and it's like, you know, that's sort of like those kinds of combinations where it's just like different. It was like, I was the only guitar player in a band for the first time because, you know, back in early two thousands, late nineties, every band had two guitar players, you mm-hmm. know, almost always. And, um, that was just a thing. And it was the first time I was in a band where I was the only guitar player. And that was the other exciting thing about cancer Pass, where I was just like, okay, just me um this writing and performing is just you know all on my shoulders and and i i think that's one of the things that sort of like made my tone stand out it made me pay more attention you know so then i got really excited and, and you know as soon as people started saying that i go well how much better can i make it you know and then i went out and i got like uh my buddies used uh uh marshall jmp that he was like selling for like ridiculously cheap which I later realized because it like would blow up every other time you turned it on, (laughs) it had been modded by some TV repairman or something. And it was, uh, you know, it was cool, but it didn't work. It didn't really do the thing. Um, and then Mm -hmm. anyways, I had it restored by, uh, Glenn Morris from Morris amps to its original state. And it was still cool, but it wasn't, wasn't the tone I was looking for. It was a little bit, a little bit too messy, a little bit too loose. It just, it didn't really do the thing. And, um, and then I had an opportunity from, uh, this guy, Matt, uh, who played guitar in a band called no warning, this Toronto hardcore band. And he, he heard that I had this cool JMP. And at the time he had been playing a a diesel Herbert amp. And I'd always like kind of heard really good things about diesel, never had a chance to play one. They were really, really hard to come by, um, back in like, uh, 2004. So 
basically I traded him the JMP and some extra cash for that diesel. And then like, once I played that thing, it was just like, everything changed. It was just like that, that amp, I'd never heard anything sound so crunchy and tight and huge. It just like, all of a sudden it like really made things possible in my mind to like be the only guitar player on stage and not worry if things weren't going to sound full. Because that was always the thing is that like, everyone was always like, oh, you need another guitar player because it won't won't sound big enough. It won't sound heavy enough. And then like I had that and two cabs and it's like, I didn't have to worry about it anymore. It was just like, it had this 3d sound and everybody was like, that would hear it. They go, man, it sounds like, sounds like a second person is playing. Like, it's crazy. The, like the amount of sort of like depth and balls that that tone had. And, uh, you know, it, at least with, you know, um, the setup I had at the time and that was just plugging straight in too. That was the thing. Like I didn't really use pedals back then. Um, uh, and I think, I think you were the first person I saw with one and I was immediately like, like, wow. Like the, the kind of the same thing. I, like I remember the, at that show specifically being like, it was actually one of the first times I, cause at the time I was, I was playing guitar, but I was just, you know, as much distortion as you can get with a Les Paul. And that must be what that's what metal bands do. Right. That's what we all should do. And so I yeah, didn't yeah. really know what I was know what I was doing. But I remember looking at your rig and being like, wow, I got, I'm going to need one of those diesels. And then, uh, you know, at the time I had no money. I, I, I started <laughs> Googling and I was like, I'm going to wait on that. You're like $5,000. What? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I was too. And like, I mean, I mean, if I hadn't got one used from Matt, like I think maybe that wouldn't have happened. Um, The other cool thing I think like about an amp like that, because it has so much clarity at the same time, uh, you know, which I found like uh, some of the, the, the Mesa or PV stuff um, that I tried. uh, I just, it, it wasn't quite as tight as I thought it should be. And, and this, like this diesel amp, it really kind of reveals all the flaws in your playing. Mm-hmm. So it forced me to play even better. And, and that was like a really cool thing where it was just like, okay, I didn't have any other guitar players to hide behind. And now I had an amp that like exposed that even more. <laughs> so then like, <laughs> so then, I mean, it, it forced me to get better. And I, I, you know, like years of like my hands, like cramping up on stage, you know, trying to like play fast enough and tight enough so that it like the whole thing didn't fall apart, um, you know, really started paying off. And um, I mean, you know, like one of the cool things about Cancer Bats is like uh, even in our early days when we were just we were really raw, people, I think, saw a uh, a charisma and honest energy and sort of like uh, fun attitude, like you know, so many bands were like, so like serious and dark, um, you know, around that time. And we were trying to like, have more fun, <laughs> you know, that was just sort yeah. of it. like, do something <laughs> different, have more fun, uh, be a little bit more rock and roll in some ways. And, um, you know, and really put the riff back in and not just a breakdown. And that was kind of our thing. It's like, we did, cause everybody was doing these mosh metal breakdowns at the time. It was like, and we, we all love that stuff. Like, that's all cool. But it was like, okay, but you know, hate breeds perf- perfected that stuff. Like, right. You know, they, they already we, did we, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did it and they did it better than anybody. And, you know, and probably since, and, and, and that's the thing where we got, 
uh, we're like, okay, well, we just, we need to do something else. And, um, you know, so our, our band grew really quickly right away because we just, um, you know, uh, just did, we just stood out, you know? And, and that was like, that was like our intention the entire time, not to be gimmicky, just because we wanted to have fun in a different way. And, and people really took to it. And, you know, we got signed like right off the bat, the, uh, our first label is called distort. And, uh, the guy from distort, I just bumped into him at a show and he had asked, you know, what's your, what's your other band doing? And I was like, well, not much. Uh, but I got this new band cancer bats. Like, you know, here's the only copy of the CD, you know, like, um, we had spent like Thanksgiving weekend recording a four song EP. Like I just kind of got out of recording school and I had this like free time to use at the school studio. And so I recorded our, our stuff and, you know, and had a lot of fun with it. And I gave him the first copy, just kind of, it was the first person I ran into. And I was like, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, you've got a label, you should have a copy. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and then a couple of days later, he tracked me down at work. Like I, I used to sell uh, train tickets at a, at a train station. That was my job. And somehow he found out where I worked and like called me and was just like, Hey man, is this Scott from cancer bats? And I was like, yeah, that like not expecting it. He's just like, Hey, it's uh Greg from distort. I, I, I can't stop listening to this. Like I have this on repeat in my car, like all week long. This is amazing. Like when can I see you guys play? And I'm like, okay, well we have a show um, in a couple of days. Oh, okay. I'm going to like bring a bunch of people. Like we're all going to come check you out. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. You know, like, I had been in so many bands before and that stuff like never happened. <laughs> and so it, it felt weird because like, you know, when we started cancer bats, it wasn't really meant to be that serious. Cause it was kind of a side project because I was still mm -hmm. in my other band technically, even though things were kind of like dwindling, it was like in my mind, things were going to get back together. Cause I had, you know, spent like five years trying to like push this one metal band and you know, we, we were doing well locally, but not much else. And like, every time we had a little bit of label interest, they kind of like, I don't know, walked away, uh, you know, and for whatever reason. And, uh, but with cancer bats, that wasn't the case. It was like, people were just like asking about us everywhere. And, and it was like, just like this crazy feeling that like everything was like aligning finally. And, um, you know, so about I think, what year, uh, what year are we talking about here? 2004. Like that's when, Okay. Like that was when we recorded like Thanksgiving, 2004 was like our first recording and we hadn't played any shows yet. So that was the other thing is that we were like, we're going to like come out strong, uh, you know, with a CD that people could pick up. Um, so that if they liked it, they could keep listening to it. Right. That was kind of just like a game plan. Like, um, cause all my other bands, we'd started playing shows before we had like really taken the time to like, you know, write the best songs we could. We just kind of like, would show up be like, okay, we can kind of play a set and we'd play, start playing shows and then figure out recording. Well, we were just like, let's do the opposite. Well, you know, let's write songs we're stoked on record a few and then just have something like have merch from the first show. Um, you know, kind of just sort of learn from the mistakes of our old bands really. And just, Hey, well, we know how to do this. So let's, let's make it happen. And, um, anyways, um, you know, Greg from distort really liked what he saw and he signed us up and, you know, really, uh, with a lot of his help and, you know, and guidance career wise, like, um, things started taking off and, uh, you know, we made, we made our first record with, um, with this guy, Gavin Brown, who, uh, had worked with a lot of, um, 
really big Canadian bands like um, Billy Talon and Three Days Grace. And um, oh, gotcha. Yeah, and and so like he really like launched some really big bands, um, you know. And it was kind of like he he wasn't like oh this is the guy we want to work with, you know, out the bat. It was just sort of like the label was like you could work with this guy. He did great things for these bands, and we were just like uh like you know at the time we thought of ourselves just like you know we're just a bunch of hardcore punks like whatever how does that make sense you know we kind of like resisted and then we were kind of like well you know what like uh if you know if greg really thinks this is the guy we should go with like let let's trust him i mean you know like he greg was responsible for breaking the band alexis on fire as well and so oh wow okay yeah yeah so like you know and they and they were like you know really good friends of ours and all that stuff in the local scene. And, you know, so we sort of just like trusted a lot of these people and, um, and I'm glad we did because, you know, Gavin came in and, um, you know, like he was the guy who's like really started me on like this sort of like tone quest. Cause he showed up. I remember like how he like really won me over was like the first like jam session of ours that he came to, he brought a huge like Rubbermaid bin, full of pedals he's like here try these out and i was like what (laughs) and like you know he had all these like zvex pedals and like you know again like this is like 2004 like really early days before like things things weren't like they are now you know what i mean there there was like oh you know line six was still pretty new then and and all that stuff and so like showing up with like all these like zvex effects and 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 a bunch of other like crazy uh boxes that i'd never seen and was hearing sounds that i didn't know you could make with stomp boxes it was like blowing my mind wide open i was like oh this is so cool this guy rules and and not only did he show me (laughs) a lot of cool effects and stuff like that um but uh he taught us how to write songs and that was huge like him coming in and being like okay like this song it's sweet it's you know it's it's loud it's fast it's heavy it's kind of got some melody here and there but like why doesn't the good part happen again? Why do you only do the like really good part once? Or why does this part happen so long? Why does this song have three bridges? It doesn't need that. Like, why don't we have create a little bit of space and dynamics and like make things like really exciting when the chorus comes in. It was like, none of us had ever experienced that before. And and we found that like really, really inspiring. And, um, you know, uh, and then, and we got taken into the studio and the, the engineer who worked on it is uh, this guy, Eric rats. Who's like one of the top engineers and producers in Canada. And, um, and he uh, <laughs> single-handedly kicked my ass. I thought I knew how to play guitar coming in and, you know, he really showed me that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, it, it was funny. It was funny. Cause like, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I came in with a bit of a chip on my shoulder and then, sort of realized that like recording studio guitar is very different than like than playing live in a lot of cases, especially if you want to achieve something that's really tight and clear and in tune and professional sounding. And, you know, I, I didn't know anything about that. I did. That's not what they teach you in recording school. They don't teach you any of that. And so I was like, my mind was like blown away of like, okay, I really need to like focus on this. And, you know, they taught me things about like, you know, blending amp tones in the studio and different mics and different cabs and like what they all sort of did to like make an amazing guitar sound. And, and 
it was really cool because <laughs> Gavin was the only other guy I, I met for years that owned a diesel. He had a VH4. So like, oh, wow. I had the like, so they were, they were already like, whoa, you've got the other diesel. This is so cool. Let's put them together. What do they sound like? Like, yes. with, <laughs> how do we double diesel? <laughs> and, uh, and so, so that's what we did. Like the first record was a, um, yeah, my, my Herbert, uh, Gavin's VH4. And then he had, um, like, I don't know if you know, Comet amps. Um, mm-hmm, it was I do, kind of yeah. like a, yeah, it was kind of like a, I, th- I think, which is supposed to be like a, a train wreck kind of uh, inspired amp. And, uh, and it had a really cool different sound and we combined those together, the, those three amps. And I was just like, Oh man, I'm running three amps. This is like heaven. You know, it was like the coolest thing ever. And again, like we were, um, you know, going, uh, you know, we were like, tracking guitars for like like 10 days or two weeks or whatever it was and you know just having so much fun experimenting on with pedals and different kinds of sounds and they were showing me they were the first guys that i ever saw that like they were like oh okay if you know if you're not stoked on this the tone today don't worry because we're we're taking a di track and you can reamp that and i was <laughs> yeah, like baby. reamp reamping what what's that like I, we it's can the best do thing that. ever like, is what it is yeah 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 it's it was really cool i was like i didn't know any of this was possible. And then, you know, they, they really like, you know, really inspired me. It was super cool. And, um, you know, I think we all came out better players after that. Let's like, we had our asses kicked really hard on our first record and, um, you know, it's cool. It's actually, it's funny. I was li- just listening to it yesterday because we might be dusting off some old songs, um, for some future shows. And I was like listening, I was like, Oh, you know, the tone's so different from like kind of where I'm at now, but sounds really kind of unique and cool. Like I was like, still really proud of it. You know, like it's, it's a nice feeling to go back and listen to your first record and be like, I'm not embarrassed about this. Like, yeah. Okay. Like maybe we could have like made some of the songs even better, but like, you know, for being a bunch of guys who didn't really know what they were doing. And then totally like, again, just having our asses kicked in the studio. It was like, uh, it's pretty cool. And like, I'm, I'm still really proud of it. So, um, so yeah, like moving on, uh, our next record, we ended up continuing, uh, working with Eric Ratz and, um, and this other guy, Kenny Luong and, uh, you know, kind of just sort of evolved the sound even more where we are like, okay, we want a little bit heavier here. What are we going to have to do? Like, I want, I want something like beefier. And it was like, okay, well maybe the double diesel isn't the thing. It's like, you know, when what, what can I pause for just a just a second here? <clears throat> and sure. just so the just so the listeners are kind of following the timeline. I'm assuming yeah. uh, the, the record you were just talking about was 2006's Birthing the Giant, correct? It was Birthing the Giant. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, exactly. OK, cool. That, I just want to make sure. Right. So if people go back and check, they like, can know what you're talking about. So, yeah, okay, for sure. You, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, anyway, it's like, I mean, you know, just to skip over. But like, you know, we had a great time. We got to tour the world and. um you know, the record was, you know, like our first jump into the public eye for most people. And the reception was like really good. You know, it was like, uh, you know, it was one of those cool things where, you know, you go to a different country and people you've never met who don't speak your language are singing your words back to you. Like that's, you know, the coolest feeling ever. And, you know, so since we were like really stoked on where that went and, you know, we, like I said, we had a really good time working with Eric Ratz. So we went with him, uh, for our next few records, but anyways, more focusing on 
the next record, which was Hail Destroyer, um, which probably was a Hail Destroyer. Let's be yeah. Honest. Like I mean, that was the cool thing is that we took everything we learned from you know from Gavin and sort of like an okay, let's let's take that approach from writing songs from the beginning. You know, like everything he taught us, let's let's put that forward and. Um, you know, and we sort of just woodshed it and we like, we're like, okay, we're going to treat the band like a, like a serious job. And basically we did like a nine to five, like, uh, writing and rehearsal schedule. We got a rehearsal space and we just like went in and wrote songs every day for two months. And we invited some of our friends into here and give feedback and, you know, got Eric and Kenny in to, help us with the pre-production and complete the songs and went into the studio and just like, okay, we want this. We want everything we did before, but like heavier and a bit more like, um, how do I say it? Just like, seems to me, it sounds groovier a little bit in in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it, it was exactly. But we, it was also because like, you know, again, we were just like, okay, well we can write better songs now. Like, so we can push things further. Like we can get even more melodic. We can, we can try different styles of things and like know what will work or what won't. And, um, you know, I, I think like, uh, it just was really indicative of who we were at that time. You know, we were all about like 25 years old and, you know, really hungry to do more. And, um, and yeah. And like, anyways, as I was saying in the studio, like we were trying out, different tones and tried to recreate what we did on birthing the giant, but that it became really obvious very fast that that was not the right direction for the sound. Um, and that we had to, um, you know, re-examine after tracking about half the record, we were like, had to, had to stop and say like, okay, we're not excited with where the guitar tone is at. And so that was one of the first times I, we like really did a lot of reamping. And so we tried some different amps and nothing was working, um, to where like I was happy and, um, and, you know, in the band in general. And then, so what we ended up doing was asking, um, our friend Alan, who was, um, helping us guitar tech for the record, uh, if he had any ideas or any amps that he knew we could bring in. He was like, well, in my, in my car, I've got this, this amp that, uh, Glenn Morris built. Uh, it's called the Morris XS2. It's like a, a prototype he's building for, um, uh, I think, uh, James Black from, uh, Finger 11. Um, he's trying to like, it's sort of a more high gain amp that Glenn's building. I was like, well, that's cool. Yeah. Like let's try it. I mean, we've kind of tried everything else and nothing's really doing the thing. And, um, you know, Alan hooked the amp up for us and, and we put it in the reamp rig and it was like, oh my God, that's it. <laughs> and it was this really cool, like Eureka moment of like combining my diesel Herbert, which was a bit more, again, a modern high gain, really tight sound with Glenn's amp, which was this hand wired point to point, uh, you know, beautiful old school organic sound that uh, was very much the opposite and kind of doing those together just sort of made this amazing beefy crunch. And, uh, you know, it was like 
from that from there on out we just recorded the rest of the record with it we reamped everything that we'd already done and then that allowed us to finish um you know that that record and it's um i don't know it was just like that was like a real turning point i think in tone for me where i was like i found the two perfect amps to like marry to get my sound that i've always kind of pictured in my head and so i commissioned glenn to make me a version of that amp but i had a few tweaks to it where i was like okay i want it this one i think was like a 60 water i wanted something much louder because i wanted it to be able to stand on its own if i ever needed to only use that for at a show and right. um in case something so happened I, yeah exactly and you know again he was making a custom amp for somebody else and so i had a, a few tweaks on it and i was like okay like i really need to bring out harmonics i do a lot of like uh, pinch harmonics and stuff like that. Like I really need those to like jump out on the, on the, you know, from the speakers, like when I do them and he's like, Oh, okay, I can try this and that. And I've got this special transformer that could, and, you know, and we, we would literally sit there and he would like throw in different resistors and, and, and different kinds of tone stacks. And we would a B them. And like, you know, we spent a few months like working on this head and, you know, he would call me up and be like, I've got another idea, Scott, bring the head down. And we'd like, <laughs> we kept going at it until we had the, like the final version, uh, you know, which is pretty much the, been one of my main heads, um, you know, ever since. And, uh, you know, I think, um, being able to like, you know, have that kind of friend who could help me like discover really what I was after, uh, was so cool. And I'm so like fortunate to, to know a guy like Glenn and, you know, his amps are amazing. And, uh, and again, like, I mean, he builds amps for all different kinds of players and, um, you know, but I think kind of the, one of the cool things about, uh, diesel and him, the connection that they have is that they're, again, they're both very revealing amplifiers and you'll really hear the wood of the guitar going through. And, you know, you, it's really obvious, like your shortcomings in your playing, um, you know, when, when you play an amp like that, but like when you, you know, really figure out your chops, like you, those things sing and it's, um, you know, it, it was like kind of this perfect marriage for me to have those, like those two heads, um, you know, go everywhere with me when we were on tour. It was, it was super cool to have that studio sound, but on stage as well. Um, and this is all uh, really, uh, really fascinating to me because like, you were talking about how the basically the first half of the record, you weren't really happy with the guitar sounds. What's so crazy is like half the reason we're talking right now is I, I put on, <clears throat> excuse me, Hail Destroyer is one of my favorite albums ever. Um, Thanks, man. But like I, I put that record on the, for the first time and I was like, oh yeah, I wonder what this is about. And man, just the, the guitars were what set me off. And it was like, wow, this sounds insane. Good. Like, how did he do that? But you know, this was back in the day where that, kind of information was harder to find. Um, oh, for sure. But so to hear this process kind of come straight for your mouth, like, like, Oh, that's how the guitars happened. Like, wow, yeah. that's, I've had moments like that, you know, like I've had moments where I wasn't happy with whatever the results I was getting. And it's funny to like, you just one tweak, you just had to get that head and yeah, everything changed. It, it's, it's really funny that way. And, um, you know, of course, like, you know, we were dabbling with a lot of pedals and stuff, but um, I, I'm pretty sure on most of that record, a lot of it was, again, sort of straight in to the heads. And um, again, you know, it's it's one of those things, I think, like live 
um, you know, being on stage and, you know, dealing with like room sounds like that, those things require, require like a different kind of tone. And, you know, and that was one of the things that I, I realized that like, you know, in the studio, we're dialing back the gain a little bit more because of course you're layering guitars. And if you have too much gain upon too much gain, it's just going to sound like a mess. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that was one of those things like rats taught me that like, um, you know, we didn't need in the studio, but then I'd go on stage and go, okay, well, you know, now that I hear this, I really need to like boost the Morris amp. Like I really need to juice the front end of it to get the extra, you know, the extra 10% that I'm looking for, um, you know, on stage to like Mm -hmm. make the room sing as well, you know? And, and so that like, you know, boosts and overdrives, you know, I, I've been through so many of them and, um, what kind of ended up happening on the next record is that I, um, I borrowed a clone, I think from it's either from Wade McNeil or Ian DeSaw from Billy talent. And, uh, the, uh, yeah, I borrowed a clone and I was just like, Whoa, this is it. This does the thing, <laughs> especially cause like <laughs> we, we, we tune and drop C, you know, which obviously like isn't a super low tuning by these days standards. But, um, I think, you know, just, by nature of a lower tuning, it's less bright sounding and less cutting in the upper mids and uh, the clon sort of tightened things up and, and pushed the voice of the guitar to the front in a way that I, I really, really liked. And that kind of became uh, a staple of my sound. Like um, I didn't, I, I've never owned a real clon um, centaur, but I was lucky enough to get one of the very first, uh, Klon KTR pedals and oh, I nice. really love that. Yeah. And um yeah, it was cool. Like my buddy uh uh Scott Hager, who he does um a site called AxonYouShallReceive.com. Uh he's a local guy and um deals in a lot of amazing guitar gear. And he was like, Scott, I know you're gonna want one of these. And uh he was like, just let you know this is coming, so I'll set one aside for you if you want to be one of the first people to buy one. I was like, yep. Absolutely. And, and so like, that's been kind of like a, a mainstay pedal, uh, in the studio for me, uh, for years. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like there was like a point where, you know, once I got these like really great amps and, uh, you know, uh, and again, like maybe a certain overdrive pedal, I, I stopped, I stopped looking for new ones after a while. Like I, I kind of was like, well, I found it. <laughs> this is it right like, this is what i was looking like, for right. yeah yeah i don't really need to go from here you know that i think the trick became when we started touring overseas so much more that i had to figure out ways to try to replicate my sound um but using gear i was less familiar with um you know and that was that's been sort of the the next evolution of like the tone journey where um you know, how do I take unfamiliar gear and make it feel comfortable? And, you know, and that was like exploring a lot of different pedals or, uh, dual amp rigs and, and, you know, going through various amp brands, depending what I could get, you know, it's like, yeah, like I could go to Europe and I'd have a diesel rig, which is great, but it would sound slightly different than, you know, my, my head, which was a very early generation Herbert, um, to some of the newer ones or, different ones that they would make over the years. They didn't all sound identical. 
and which is to be expected and you know electronics are just like that but Mm -hmm. um i think uh you know then i would go to a place like australia and you you can't get diesel in australia or at least that you know when i started touring there and it was like okay you're using some noisy old dual rectifier one night and then it's jcm 900 the next night (laughs) and then you've got uh you know an orange amp and okay this this series of war jamps don't have an effects loop so i couldn't run the noise gate setup that i wanted to run and i i'd have to like re-rig my whole pedal board and figure out like ways that i could do that you know quickly without without a headache and um you know so that led to like my pedal board growing bigger and trying to like recreate a lot of my sound on a on a front end um you know oh, using right, different right. using different pedals rather than just relying on the amp uh, you know, for, for sound and, uh, which is cool. And, you know, like I, you know, I was able to do that without like going down the, like the modeling route, um, which, you know, a lot of my friends just kind of like went, oh, okay, I'm going to do this thing. But, um, I don't know. I just kind of always got behind the, uh, the analog and tube stuff a lot, a lot, a lot more. They just, they just feel, feel right to me. And, um, and so that's why, like, I was willing to like kind of battle with it. And I, I got frustrated for a while because sometimes, you know, like I was like, why doesn't this, why isn't just this do the thing? Like, why does it have to sound so different? Um, you know, and one of the things I kind of realized is that like the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the voltage uh, when you go to different continents is not the same as right. North America, right? Like we're on like uh, 110 or 120 and they're on. 230 240 and um amps sound different at the different voltages and um which i think is kind of like pretty sure isn't that kind of like what eddie van halen does like he's got like a like a variac where he dials back the that's the, the voltage to yeah. Kind of, yeah yeah like that's the thing and you know it was like and that was like that was kind of a realization where i was like i I need to stop fighting what I'm trying to hear in my head and just sort of like make something else and just accept it and sort of like realize like, okay, I'm not going to fight with the gear. I'm going to like figure out like what just works and the little like tricks that I needed to do to make it happen. You know, like I, again, uh, Ian from Billy talent, I'm pretty sure he travels with a, like a big power variac so that he can, with his heads, they'll sound more like they do, you know, when he's back home in Toronto and, or, you know, on tour in North America, uh, he'll do that over in Europe and try and like recreate that. And, you know, um, I just, I just don't have the luxury of being able to like carry around so much accessible, like, uh, electronic, um, or sorry, like, you know, electric maintenance equipment like that. Right. And it's not, it's uh it's actually kind of been one of these things now where like I'm almost at the point where like I'm excited when I get a different head because I go, okay, like here's the fun part. How do I make this work? You know, like this is cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can, I know if I do this and if I like, you know, if I run into an effects loop, that's kind of my main thing now. It's like, if I can get an amp with an effects loop, I can figure out something because I could run a different kind of preamp. I can, um, you know, reorganize my board really quickly, uh, this way. And, um, you know, so I was using different, um, pedal routing systems, uh, like, um, 
like a, like a switcher, like the QSAC pedal board tamer was one I used and uh, a Providence PEC two, um, you know, to switch pedals in and out quickly and just sort of be able to reroute things. And then when I realized that sort of like bigger pedal board doesn't necessarily mean better. Uh, and then I could consolidate a lot of my effects into a smaller board that I could fit in like a, a carry on suitcase, which just sort of made my life so much easier. Um, the, uh, I don't know if you know the emperor emperor, sorry, Empress stereo, uh, buffer plus pedal, mm-hmm. which is yep. like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's kind of deceptively small and simple, but you can reorganize that pedal in so many different ways uh, with, you know, a few easy tweaks. It's such a piece of the genius piece of gear that like, uh, you know, I can't recommend enough. Like I, so many people like were like, what is that thing? What is that doing? And I was like, oh, OK, well, this is, you know this is sending my front end to the front of my amp and then my effects loop return comes through here. And then my time-based effects are going there and then back through my noise gate. And, you know, and it, it does it all so seamlessly and it only has one foot switch and and has a really great boost built in. And, and that thing is kind of like the centerpiece of my board now that lets me, um, you know, sort of win those battles with strange backline gear that I get on tour. And, um, you know, I'll be right back. I got to go to reverb and order this real fast. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. <laughs> it sounds cool. It yeah, sounds yeah. like, it sounds like something it, I could it, use for other purposes. It's a, it's a really cool thing. I've, I've seen since, uh, I think some other, uh, pedal companies have, has sort of caught on to like, what a genius little, uh, interface that is. And people are starting to like make their own versions of it. Um, but, uh, you know, I use that thing like all the time in the studio and, on stage now it's like the first pedal on my board basically and um yeah and anyways it, it lets me keep like a pedal train junior and again i can just fit that in a carry-on suitcase like on top of my clothes that i'm packing and um you know it just makes my life like really easy um you know when i'm doing fly-in dates and stuff like that and uh, mm-hmm. the um you know one of the cool things now is that uh i i'm I'm an orange uh, amps and Dorsey now and Oh cool. You know, one of the great Yeah, and, and and one of the great things is and again, I mean it's not like I stop using any of my other amps. I I love all of them and then record with them constantly. It's uh the the great thing is that Orange is just a sort of like ubiquitous worldwide guitar amp company that I can get anywhere. Like mm-hmm. anywhere I go in the world I can get an orange amp. And that has allowed me to be so much more consistently happy. Because I know that I can show up anywhere and ask for a rocker verb amp and any generation of that amp will do the thing that I need it to do. And I think like all versions of that amp are great in their own way. And I love the newest version. I think it's fantastic. The Mark three. And um, yeah, I just think that they're a very, very forward thinking amp company. And I've come to know, um, you know, the guys that run it and, and they've been like super helpful and really, really easy to work with. And, um, and again, it's just like, it allows me to have consistency. So, you know, like as cool as it is sometimes like, Oh, like I get to try out this, like, you know, crazy amp one day or, or the next or whatever. And, you know, it, but I, I kind of want my fans to have like a consistent cancer bats experience. Yeah. You know, when, when I'm, when I'm performing live, it's, it's, that's that reliability 
is much more like it, important than you know me geeking out of like oh maybe i can try a new uh you know a soldano one day and a freedman the next and whatever like all those are great um but you know i found every time like i would go to again australia was one where it was just like really hard to get an amp that i you know was happy with i, I remember one tour i had um i had rented a, a mesa mark five and really cool head but the thing that I found is that every single night I had a different sound because there's so many little switches and things to tweak that I could never quite dial it in to a sound that I was like 100% with. And, um, you know, again, amazing sounding head, one of the loudest amps I've ever played. Um, it just didn't do the cancer bats thing that I wanted it to. Um, and, you know, I think maybe I wanted it to sound a little bit more like a rectifier than it does, but it, it doesn't sound like that. And it, um, anyways, it, it was just like a frustrating moment for me on tour. Where I was like, Oh, I've got this like, you know, world-class head, but I can't make it do my thing. And it's like, okay, well I have to accept that. Um, you know, it wasn't like any show was terrible because of it. It was just like, uh, it just didn't sit in the mix the right way for me. And one of our, opening bands was this band called high tension and their guitar player had like an orange, like OR 50. And he was like, give my head a go. And I was like, okay. And I plugged right in. I was like, there's the rock and roll. That's it. You know, there's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's like five knobs. I didn't need to worry about any other channels or, or like, you know, or voicing switches or whatever. It's like, I just plug my overdrive in and, and let it rip. And then, you know, not long after that, we did, um, we're playing uh, in Calgary for the Junos, which is like the Canadian Grammy Awards, basically. And um, we were uh, playing with this band called Cron Goblin. And um, their guitar player was like, yeah, you can use my like orange head. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm excited. And his was the first rocker verb I ever really got to try. And um, I plugged it in right away. I was like, whoa, this is a thing. This is so cool. And um and yeah, so that kind of like set me on the the trip of like, you know, working out a relationship with Orange and um you know, I'm I'm really excited cuz those guys are really again like forward thinking, like they're always thinking about how can they improve their gear, they're always asking for feedback and you know, whether it's good or bad and and I think a couple other times I tried working with some gear companies who you know, I was excited about new products coming out um and you know, it was like, oh, like potentially we could work together on something, you know, like in, and I would give them feedback and I'd be like, Hey, like, you know, those amps you let me try out on tour, uh, they're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Like this isn't, this this isn't like, uh, this isn't good. Like it sounds cool when I'm like playing at bedroom volume, but then when I turn this like hundred watt or 200 watt head up, uh, to like stage volume, it sounds brittle and, and, and disgusting. Like, not, and not in a not in a cool way <laughs> like right. what's going not on the good like, kind. are these yeah i was like yeah I, I thought you know oh okay maybe one of the heads is defective so then i tried the backup and it was just as bad and, <laughs> and i was like yeah i don't i don't know like what the deal is like what were you guys thinking about this like why does this happen and um and they didn't take that kind of criticism well at all it was like very uh disappointing for me because I, I get excited about, you know, helping people grow and improve. And, 
you know, just as much as if someone's giving me that kind of feedback and, um, you know, I was being honest and they didn't want to hear honest. They, they just wanted to, you know, just like, they're like, oh, okay. They just want to throw a bunch of free gear at people and would hope things, you know, work out. Yeah. <laughs> work out, you know? And, and that was the thing where I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not, that's not the company that I want to start a relationship. So I didn't. And, um, you know, and then sort of just, you know, stayed happy with, again, like, um, I love the stuff that, uh, that, that, you know, companies like diesel make, like, it's fantastic. Like really, really great. Um, my only thing is I, I couldn't get it everywhere I needed to. And, um, and that became like a really important, uh, distinction. And, um, and the cool thing was, is like, I think as, our band's sound evolved, you know, our bass player, Jay, he's, he's got some amazing tone too. And, uh, on his own tone journey, like adding a lot of different pedals and he has very distorted bass and very mid range heavy. Um, the diesel amp isn't the right amp to complement his tone, uh, in the same way. So like if, I'm only using that. It's not like it would be bad or anything. I just found that the orange, wherever it's like, you know, when I'm using a rocker verb, it's tone stack sort of fit better with Jay's sound and, um, and had a different kind of bite to it. Um, which I thought, you know, kind of worked a little bit better, uh, for me and, you know, it was kind of exciting. And, and, you know, the, the guys in my band, were really like they noticed it too and they thought like okay yeah like like this can be a thing like jay's playing orange amps you're playing orange amps we get our amps for one place um everybody's happy with them they're reliable and they sound amazing you know the company is really supportive let's uh let's you know keep a good relationship going with that yeah you're making it this hard on me right now because we talked about this a little bit b- before the show that I do chasing tone with, with Brian Wampler still. And he offered to yeah. sell me his, his personal rocker verb years ago, maybe even on the show. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> and I, I was so tempted cause I really, really, I've wanted a rocker verb for a long time and just for whatever reason, haven't pulled the trigger yet. And I, I eventually was like, Oh no, I shouldn't right now. I've got another amp coming and blah, 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 whatever reason I use to justify it. Then he fell back in love with it. And he, likes to routinely tell me he's like oh this rocker verb sounds amazing i'm so glad i didn't sell it <laughs> like, yeah he's always rubbing it in my face and so now it's like oh, oh. The, the rocker verb gas has been activated again oh for oh, sure you, you know and i i think like um it's one of those things it's like certain certain things work for certain people and that that's the thing it's like it's a it's exciting because you know maybe a rocker verb wouldn't have worked for me when I was making birthing the giant. But now, you know, in my, in my mid thirties, it's like, that's the amp that speaks to me in a great way. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Like sometimes it's just situational or, you know, or it's just like, this is where we are in our, on our tone timeline. (laughs) And (laughs) it uh, is a timeline, you know, it always changes it. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I love that. I would, I should actually like make we should all make like, Instead of family trees, we should make our own tone timelines. Can <laughs> I can map that out. We can, pretty, all, we can all see yeah. all the money we've wasted on gear over the years. <laughs> Ooh, maybe I don't want to see that. Oh, that could be yeah, scary. Yeah. One thing but, I, I want to get the, into know, uh, before we get yeah. – uh, uh, we've been talking about amps 
basically most of the time. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about that I almost forgot until just now was, okay, you were the one of the first people I saw that was playing something from the first act custom shop. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, yeah. Cool. What is, what, can you give us a breakdown there? Like I have a, I have a first act, uh, one of the Volkswagen guitars, uh, which is, oh, okay, not, cool. Yeah. It's just a great guitar. Those are things are fantastic. I love it. But I know that the custom shop was like a legit custom shop, right? That's at least that's what I've always been told. Yeah. Like, but about your Volkswagen, is that the one like where Slash was playing in a commercial? Oh, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was cool. Um, so, the thing with first act, um, how I found out about them, I mean, you know, I think a lot of us knew them kind of being like a, a Walmart or a Toys R Us guitar, uh, you know, for kids and stuff like that. And um, on one of our early tours in 2006, we were out with uh, Alexis on fire in, um, we we're playing in New Jersey and uh, this, this awesome guy, uh, Jimmy Archie, uh, showed up to the show with a bunch of first act guitars for the Alexis guys. And I was like, Whoa, what are those? You know, like I didn't know first act made such nice looking guitars. And, um, Alexis had a bunch out on the tour. And, uh, anyways, I, I met Jimmy and, um, you know, him and I just talk gear and music. And, you know, uh, I remember, the day I met him, he had a, a sick of all, uh, like alleyway crew jacket on. I was like, that's awesome. Like let's hang out. And, uh, and so him and I geeked out and then he was just, you know, kind of like, uh, Hey man, you interested in trying a guitar? And I was like, absolutely. And I was like, you know, but I'd kind of want the guitar to have these pickups and, you know, do this kind of thing. And he's like, well, why don't we build you a custom one? And one of the things basically, you know, just from getting to know Jimmy, what I sort of learned is that he, and uh, Kelly, the designer of the guitars at that time at their custom shop, were both guys that got poached from Gibson and their custom shop team, basically. And and they opened up a shop, I think, in Massachusetts somewhere. And uh, and they started building like really great guitars and um, and trying to uh, come up with a different kind of branding for first act. So it's not just guitars for kids. You know, uh, they were making really great guitars for professionals everywhere. And, um, I was lucky that, uh, you know, that they made me a really great one and that was the, the hell destroyer guitar. So basically like their Sheena model, which was kind of like somewhere between a weird Telecaster, Les Paul, uh, with a firebird type headstock hybrid, um, you know, and, and, I had them make me like a really cool custom one with like EMG 81s and a kill switch. And I wanted, you know, an ebony board and I wanted kind of a chunkier neck and um, I wanted it all mahogany. Cause I really like the sound of mahogany guitars. And um, it, uh, you know, it was, it was this really cool thing. I remember the day I got it, I uh, opened it up and it was just like, this is beautiful. Like I'm going to practice. I'm so stoked. I got this in the mail today. Um, and I opened it up, showed the guys at practice. They're like, Oh, that looks cool. What's it sound like? And I plugged it in. And the first thing I played on it was the intro riff to Hill Destroyer. Just that leapt out of the, that guitar, like that song was sitting there waiting. And that started the writing yes. process for, for that album. You know, it was pretty amazing. Um, like how things sort of came about 
because of that guitar. It was like really sweet. Um, you know, uh, moving on, I think, I don't know what kind of happened. I think there was some internal stuff at that company. Unfortunately, um, they sort of lost sight about what was really great about what the custom shop was doing. And I think, um, unfortunately, like a lot of the good people, uh, left or lost their jobs and things started deteriorating a little bit. So, you know, I remember some of my other friends getting guitars like later on and then they were kind of jealous. They're like, Scott, why is your guitar so nice? And like, mine's, I don't know, a little different. I'm not that stoked on it. And I was kind of like, well, I don't know. Maybe you didn't tell them to build a really good one, or maybe you don't know what you really like is, <laughs> you know, it's kind of the thing where I sort of like, was like, I don't know. Like I just kind of know what guitars I like. Cause I'd had so many different ones. I was always like buying and selling different guitars, learning what I liked and what worked best. So I kind of had an idea. Um, and I, I felt like some people didn't really know, like they probably maybe had like one or two guitars and they just hadn't done enough exploring. So when they got something and it like was the wrong neck shape or, you know, the wrong kind of tone wood for, for their sound, um, you know, they would, uh, you know, kind of be disappointed. But then one of the things happened is like, I ended up getting a, um, a custom, uh, uh, V from them. And, uh, I, I ended up being really disappointed in it. And I was basically like, you know, (laughs) we just wanted a flying V shape of the same guitar. Like I wanted to same paint job, same pickup, same everything, um, and it just, it didn't work. It didn't sound good. It didn't play good, uh, for me, you know, it just, it didn't do the cancer bats thing It for whatever reason. And, um, and, uh, and again, that was kind of one of the things where like, they didn't really want to hear that, uh, when I sort of like, um, brought it up to the guys at the company. And this was the problem is that Jimmy and, and, uh, and Kelly at that point weren't working there anymore. And it was like some some people who were very different that, you know, nobody I knew had a working relationship with and they weren't interested in feedback and improving. And so from there, I kind of, uh, I kind of gave up. So I was like, kind of like, okay, I got, I got one fantastic guitar that, you know, I still love. I don't tour with anymore because it got really beat up. I probably played almost 1500 shows with that guitar. Nice. And, uh, and it's, yeah. And it's like, I was like, okay, that, you know, the neck's going to break at some point if I want to like keep this thing. And it was like my first custom guitar. Like I'm not going to really take it out on the road anymore. And, and that basically, so that, that is like essentially the end of our third record touring cycle, like the bears, mares, scraps and bones record. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of realized that it was like, okay, this guitar is going to break. I need to, take a rest and I wasn't stoked on that, that V that I had. So, um, I went to look for something new and then I, when we were on tour in England, I was reading a uh, guitarist magazine and on the back there was, um, there was an ad for Nick Huber guitars. And I was like, what's this, this guitar looks cool. What's the, you know, and it was, it was a guitar called a Krautster and I'd never heard of Nick Huber or, had any idea. I just thought the guitar looked really cool and really simple rock and roll, kind of like a, a sort of a junior shape. And, um, and then anyways, like I used to be a, like a, a real regular on, uh, the gearpage.net. And, oh, um, yes. 
I don't know if you used to go on that or not. Yeah. Oh, and, I think uh, everyone yeah. used to go on it. <laughs> oh, for sure. And uh, yeah. And I mean, you know, like I would geek out on there all the time and they had an amazing sort of like uh, their gear emporium. And one day I just did a search for Nick Huber guitars and lo and behold, a guy was selling one in my area. And I was like, okay. So I set up a meet. I tried it out. And um, I remember uh, just kind of falling in love with it right away. This guy had a, a, a Krautster that he had had custom made. And um, it was essentially the same. I think maybe just the neck shape was slightly different or something. I don't, I don't really know, but um, the, uh, the guitar was fantastic. Like right away, I was just like, wow, this thing is quality. And it was kind of like a level of quality that I hadn't really experienced um, in a guitar in a long time. Uh, it just felt so well made and the ergonomics of it are beautiful. And like, like unless you've seen or held one of Nick's guitars, it's really hard to just sort of notice that off the bat, but he has this amazing sort of like neck heel joint, uh, carve that like really lets you get high up on the frets very comfortably the way, like if you're playing like a big Les Paul custom, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. without like you know wrenching your your wrist in a like a funny way and it was just like I and i don't have really long fingers so uh this really spoke to me and it was just like a beautiful simple guitar single pickup wrap around tailpiece bridge it was just so different um from any guitar that i had played before and i was like i need to take a chance on this thing and and i did and again so that was kind of the main guitar that wrote our dead set on living record. Um, and that was like kind of a special sort of turning point. I think again, that was sort of like the next step, uh, you know, really significantly for me, uh, you know, on my tone timeline <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it was exciting playing a guitar for the first time that had passive pickups. Like I'd, I was an EMG 81 guy forever. Um, I so and badly I I wanted to get into this, <laughs> get into pickups with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, like, so like, so that was, that was, that was the thing. Like we, you know, I was, I was an EMG guy forever and, you know, cause I grew up on Metallica and Slayer and, and, and that was, you know, really my thing. Um, but I was excited again to just try something else. You know, that was just, that's just always been me where I was like, you know, I, uh, you know, kind of like when we started the band, I want to play a different kind of music. I wanted different kinds of gear than, you know, what I used to use. And, and this was kind of the next step of like, how do I, where else do I go? Okay, well, let's try a totally different kind of guitar, totally different kind of pickup, different bridge, everything, you know, and that really was like encapsulated in that. And um, the guitar, the pickups that Nick's guitars come with are made by uh Heusel pickups in Germany. And um you know, again, the one that it, it comes with is kind of like a sort of like a hot PAF um, sort of style humbucker, uh, which was really cool. Um, and but I knew I wanted to tweak it. I was so used to the sustain and the compression of uh, of an EMG. Um, but uh, the the guitar itself uh, is really like uh huge in the bottom end like it just has this big fat bottom that none of my other guitars really had so i i kind of fought with that low end with my low lower sort of drop c tuning 
And um, I, uh, you know, was sort of on a, a pickup quest after that, like what will work in this guitar? You know, the original one was good, but I wanted something a little with, again, a little bit higher gain, a little bit more sustain, um, but without going in the active pickup world, I just wanted something else. And, um, and that eventually uh, when we were making our, um, our record uh, searching for zero, um, I think it was sort of around my birthday or something, but uh, I don't know if you, if you're fr- friends with uh, Ryan Bruce, like fluff. Um, I, I'm not, I wish the... I was, but uh, we have not got. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he does like riff beards and gear. Uh, mm-hmm. Great dude. Good friend of mine. Uh, he, he sent me uh, his signature pickup at the time, which is uh, made by a company in uh, Seattle called fastback. Um, guitars and uh he had a signature pickup called the beard comer and i don't actually know like yeah yeah i don't know actually know what like went into um you know him designing it or what he had had them do but he sent me one of these pickups and when we were making that record i was still sort of like back and forth with pickups on my krautster um and i wasn't uh, wasn't sure if I was even going to bring it down to California when we were recorded with Ross Robinson. Um, but I did anyway. And I brought that pickup and, um, I had a guitar tech, uh, in, in Venice install it for me. And it was one of those things, like as soon as we plugged it in, when we started tracking guitars, Ross was like, Whoa, that guitar sounds amazing. Like, and he just kept kind of going back and I was like, Whoa. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, I thought it sounded good too, but you know, when you bring like, a bunch of guitars down. You're like, Oh, let's try this one. Let's try that one. He just kept going back. Like, man, where's that, where's that white guitar with that like awesome sounding pickup. And I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, like Ross is right. This thing does, does a thing like this is, this is kind of the missing puzzle piece. And, um, and so I, I ended up putting the, uh, the fastback beard comber. Um, it's called the, like the unshaven edition, which is basically just like a distressed, uh, nickel cover. Um, and uh i put that in all my my nick huber guitars i uh i have uh four four nick hubers now and they all have that pickup in it nice and it just like it, yeah it was just the thing like it 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 was like it had the right gnarl the night the right bite it uh didn't have like super boomy low end and it just crunches in like a really great way um and it it really worked live it it kind of had enough of the string definition that I was looking for just kind of everything. And, um, I, uh, haven't really looked back. It's now I'm kind of at that point where I'm like really happy with, you know, my pickups. It's like, if I need something else, I can grab like, um, my, my Les Paul, uh, custom light that I have that still has EMGs in it. it that just like sing in that guitar. And like that, that, that works if I want something else, but, um, you know, for the studio, but, um, yeah, with uh, with all my Nick Hubers, they just work really great with those fastbacks, and um, yeah, I think a, uh, I think I'm pretty set for that for now. <laughs> it's interesting because, like, like I've I mean, I've been talking about your sound and how much I enjoy it this whole time, and I know I I knew the whole time that you were using EMGs for the most part, at least for you know those early yeah. records and stuff. And so, you know, and a lot of people that a lot of artists that I really love use the EMG 
the, you know, the classic eight, what is it? The 81 and the, uh, I forget. Um, or is it both? Uh, yeah. The 81 or the 85 or the 60. I actually yeah. always use two 81s. Two uh, a lot of people would use a different neck. Yeah. A lot of people use different neck pickups, but I always thought two 81s sounded good together. I think like when I was a kid, I came upon that. Cause I think I thought Kirk Hammett used that, which maybe he did. Uh, or still does. I'm not sure, but in my head, that's why I went for that, but it just seemed to work. Like it just did the thing. And I'm not really a play in the neck pickup kind of guy anyway, so that it didn't really matter, which is kind of one of the exciting things. I think when I got that Crestor guitar and it just has a single bridge pickup, it was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like it's just, you know, one volume knob, you know, like uh, grip it and rip it. And, and I, uh, and I, I like that simplicity. I think I, I was just, but, uh, I've always, I've always struggled with EMGs. Um, I can never, okay. yeah. I, that was, I was like, I was like, why do all these guys get them to sound so good? And I can only make them sound like stereo, like the stereotypical reason people don't like EMGs, you know, like, Oh, they're too harsh and they don't have, a, you know, enough dynamics and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's always what they were to me. And then I'd go back and I would like, listen to your records and listen to some other people that I knew were using them. I'm like, Mine don't sound like that. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I think that's the funny. Yeah. I think that's the funny thing about gear is that, you know, uh, not each, every piece of gear is meant for everybody. Like I was, I was a guy who really couldn't get along with tube screamers for a long time. I like, didn't get it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I bought one and it kind of did some stuff on some solos, maybe a little bit for me, but I, I hated it as like a main boost. Um, you know, the Klon spoke to me more. Uh, and, and so like, I, I can totally sympathize with that. You know, like if we're talking about pickups again, like every time I tried one of my friend's guitars that had a JB in it, mm-hmm. um, I didn't like it. I was like, this thing sounds scratchy and weird. And I can't get, I can't get like the, the thick chunk or the like compression that I was after or sustain or whatever it was. It just, those didn't do it for me. Recently, I've I've tried. Uh, I got a, a Telecaster on a trade that had a um, a Duncan Invader in it, and I actually really liked the sound of it. So, like, that's kind of a surprise. Where I was kind of like, I'm not really a Seymour Duncan guy. And then I tried the Invader, this old pickup that's been around forever, and I was just like, Whoa, this is great! You know, like, man, like, what? Where has this been? Why didn't I try this sooner? <laughs> Um, yeah. You know, and a lot of people like maybe that was really obvious and it was like, oh, maybe because like, you know, um, like, uh, you know, Blink-182 were playing it and I wasn't really into that. So I was like, oh, that's that's like a pop punk thing. That's not what I'm going to need. And it's like, oh, OK, well, <laughs> maybe I do like the pop punk tone more than I thought it did or whatever, you know. But then, you know, you go back and you see other guys like uh, like the guys in like uh, Corrosion Conformity, like they played those back in the day, like Woody Weatherman and. And, and I'm like, well, I love his tone. So that, you know, that does make sense, you know, when you look at it. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's funny how some of that just doesn't work for some people. And, and, you know, like a lot of people will like harsh on EMGs, uh, you know, these days. And I scratch my head as to why, cause I'm like, they sound great. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, <they'll, laughs> but I, you know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of gear is very, you know, flavor of the week. It's sort of like, this was like, you know, EMGs are really hot in the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. And then like, you know, people moved away from that. Cause they just go, Oh, 
you know, no passive passive pickups are better. And, you know, before it was all about like every, every pedal has to be true bypass because that screws with your tone. <laughs> and now everybody has to put a buffer at the front of their board now. Right. <laughs> like that's the thing. It's like, you go through these gear trends and, and marketing schemes and it's like, it's all just sort of like, you know, and then again, maybe in 10 years, everybody's back to true bypass and active pickups. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, and I just kind of laugh at it. Cause I, I never really worried about any of that specifically. I didn't, like emgs because they were active i like them because metallica were using them. <laughs> right like and i thought well that's that's where i that's where i want to be you know like i, I want to like i want to play guitar like hetfield like that that's six <laughs> you know course. so that's why i tried them but but then i actually really did like them i noticed a big difference like you know like my first good guitar that i had um was uh an esp e eclipse it was a 90s one which had like um a bolt on maple neck and, uh, and a Floyd Rose, um, which, you know, uh, wasn't sort of typical on a Les Paul shape. And I got it off a guy that was playing in my old band. I just like, was like, Whoa, that, that guitar is green and it looks awesome. And it's an ESP. Like I've never played one. I played it. And I loved it. And he's like, I'll sell it to you for 600 bucks. I was like, sold. <laughs> and, <laughs> got it. You know, yeah. that was like, that, that was my first EMG guitar. And I was just like, Oh, everything about this, like the guitar and the pickups, they just did what, I had always sort of wanted before that I was playing like, you know, Ibanez RGs and, uh, you know, just really basic cheap ones. And, uh, and, you know, and honestly, like there are great entry level guitars. Um, but, uh, you know, once I got that ESP, it kind of like, that was a huge step up for me and it, it really felt and sounded like it. And so I just kind of like stayed, I was kind of like an ESP guy for like a long time. Um, you know, and just, again, I was just like experimenting, trying to figure out what I liked. And, you know, forever I thought, oh, I need guitars with Floyd Rose. Cause like, that means it'll be better and stay in tune more, which was so wrong. <laughs> and it just meant like, oh, string changes are a huge pain in the ass. And, yeah. <laughs> and I can't, um, you know, oh, I lost this little, like this screw or this thing stripped. Oh, I can't change my string. And if I, if I break a string now, I, all my other strings are going to go out of tune. And it, you know, and then eventually I moved to Tunematic Bridges and started playing ESP Vipers um, and guitars that didn't uh, have, you know, uh, any kind of vibrato system. And I, uh, I preferred that, you know, and, and, and I went from there um, and I got like my, uh, again, my 87 Les Paul Custom Light. And that was like, oh, wow, like this is this. You know, I've always wanted a black Les Paul custom. This like this is amazing, and it was. It was really cool, uh, and I used that for years. But again, touring with like kind of a vintage guitar, I, you know, I kind of, um, I kind of stopped doing that. I was like, ah, this thing. It's like it's great, but like if I if I hang on to it, and you know, this will this will be a nice um, sort of uh, retirement gift to myself at uh, <laughs> at twenty five. <laughs> No, but like, uh, you know, I, I think when I had that opportunity to make that first custom guitar, it was like, my mind is blown. This is like a dream, you know, like that was it. Like, of course I wasn't going to say no, like first act or not, like anybody was going to offer me to do something like that. I would jump at it because I, you know, that's, you know, like that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff like your heroes 
do, right? Like you're right. And, yeah, that's what you dream of when you're a kid. You're like, what? Yeah, that's what you you're dream of. It's like that. It's like you're gonna make me a guitar and it's free and it's whatever I want. Like, you know, mind blown. And it was the coolest thing ever. And um, you know, and again, I'm super lucky, you know, I uh I met I met Jimmy from First Act and he he hooked me up and I think like oh, um I just had a brain like thing. It would be weird if I didn't connect yeah. these dots. <clears throat> Jimmy, I've actually met Jimmy before. I totally forgot about this conversation. Mm-hmm. He runs, I believe it's 30th street, uh, guitars in, in New York. Now I think that's the shop. Yes, I'm he does. Now. Yes. Yes. So we talked yes, about some, yeah. of, some of that stuff. So yeah, I was like, I was like, why do I, why does this, some of this sound so familiar? It's like, ah, you met Jimmy like a year and a half, two years ago. So there I'm, yeah, that's it. And, <laughs> and he's like the best dude. He's and so cool. you know, it's cool. Like, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's really rad. Cause you know, like he's got, um, uh, you know, his sons that like I've seen grow up are now amazing musicians and, uh, you know, playing in their own bands and, and kicking ass. And I'm really stoked to see, you know, like Jimmy's doing so well. I haven't seen him in a long time. Miss that guy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know what I mean? It's like you go through these journeys and you meet these really great people along the way that sort of help you. Um, you know, it's sort of like, uh, people kind of become like these, uh, I call them like tone chaperones, <laughs> you know, and they, <laughs> yes. they, they lead you on that tone timeline. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think like, uh, I think that stuff's exciting and, um, I like that it never stops. And like, you know, I'm always trying new things and whatever. And, uh, you know, and again, just sort of continuing on that, like meeting Nick Huber and trying his guitars, that was sort of the, you know, the next big step for me. And, um, you know, I, I met, uh, Nick at the Montreal guitar show years ago and, uh, him and I had like, um, you know, a, a great time hanging out and he, uh, he offered to make me a, uh, a custom, uh, Orca guitar that, that he makes, which is like a single cut shape. And, um, and it was fantastic. It sort of like blew my mind about what was possible. And then kind of looking at some of his other designs, I, I asked him to make me a custom version of his Twangmeister guitar, which is sort of like Telecaster inspired, but it has like a sort of like a carved uh, top. And, you know, I had him make this really like wild swirly uh, bowling ball uh, green and silver and black uh, paint job. And it's really, really gnarly looking, which I love. But um, the cool thing about Nick's guitars is he always uses such amazing woods, um, you know, when, when he's building and everything. And on one of his guitars that I tried in Montreal, uh, it had a rosewood neck, uh, entirely, not just a, not just a fingerboard and like the uh, uh, Harrison Telly this, like, type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like that. And it, it had this amazing forward sound that you could hear just, you know, you could tell by strumming the guitar without plugging it in that it had this, really cutting up front sound. And it just like, it's sort of, I became obsessed with that. And I was like, Nick, you got to build me a guitar with a rosewood neck. That's what I want. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if it'll do the, a, a, a good sound. I'm not sure. Like he was like, he's like, I don't know for you. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And then I was like, Nope, I want this. I want that. Uh, make me this. And he did. And now it's my favorite guitar. Nice. I was like, I was really happy that that, you know, I sort of like stuck to my guns on that one and, and really like, uh, created something that is again for the cancer bat sound to me, it's like one of the ultimate, uh, guitars because, 
because of the like, again, the upfront sound lets me sort of cut through the mix. Um, it, it allows me to play our entire catalog on one guitar. So in the, in the way I can, you know, describe this is that like, we've got some really slow songs and we have some like insanely fast songs, you know, the slower songs can benefit from a really full, thick sounding bass, heavier sound. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can't use that same tone to play something really fast. So when we start playing our thrashy, uh, you know, more sort of like D beat style, uh, punk songs, it's like the buildup of low end just sounds messy and it doesn't sound tight and punchy and it, it's just all wrong. And with this Twangmeister, it's just like the perfect middle ground. It does. It sounds thick and full uh, when I play slow, but it's tight enough that it just like for all the fast songs, it rips and it's just like such a joy to play on stage every night. And, um, you know, I'm just really lucky to, to have met Nick and, you know, been able to, uh, you know, have him make me a few custom guitars. And, and I, I just, I love them. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's kind of all I use. And again, it's sort of one of those weird things where I'm so much less excited about, uh, you know, guitar shopping than I used to be. <laughs> I don't really go guitar shopping unless, you know, if it's like, again, like, like I said, you know, not long ago, I got a Telecaster because I wanted something with a bit more specifically of the Fender sound. Nick's Twangmeister, the way I've built it, it doesn't sound anything like a Telecaster, but I wanted that Telecaster sound for my studio. Right. You know, it's not going to be a Cancer Bats guitar. It's a studio guitar that serves a purpose to when I need this. And especially, you know, if I'm producing other bands and I can tell that that's going to work for them, that's the guitar I'm going to reach for. Um, you know, to, to do that thing. But, uh, the, the, the Twangmeister I have is very specific and not, it's, it's not trying to be a fender, even though, you know, it's kind of from that sort of lineage. It, it's, it's so different. Um, and, and that's, what's cool. That's what, that's one of the things I love about that guitar. It's just so unique. I'm the only one who has one right now. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of expiring, inspiring for me because I can see like, okay, well, what if I try this kind of thing on a slightly different body shape? How would that, what, what would that change or not change? You know, where does it go from there? Um, you know, if I, if I was to try this same kind of like wood combination on, on a Les Paul shape versus a telly or, you know, try to do something like a double cutaway or something like how, where will that go? I mean, that's sort of like, that's what I'm more interested in rather than being like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, if I just buy a different brand, it's like, no, it's like, I know the sound I want now. How can I tweak it? And what's possible? That's what's exciting for me. So let's uh we've, we've went, we've went over time, which is entirely fine with me, but uh, I, I do want to <laughs> talk, I, I do want to talk about your, uh your production stuff and your studio stuff. We've talked about yeah. your band and how you've approached your gear and guitar this whole time. But we, we, we've kind of not got to talk about your recording studio and all of that stuff. Can we, can we talk about yeah. that? When did that start? And what are you working on now that you're super pumped about? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, like I said, <laughs> just before Cancer Bats um, started, I, I went to recording school years ago, uh, which is really cool because I think like I always, um, 
you know, I grew up thinking like music and, and, and art and all that, that kind of stuff. Like that wasn't serious career, um, uh, potential for me. And at least that's kind of like what I believed and what a lot of people and, you know, guidance counselors and teachers and, you know, my parents to an extent, you know, they're just like, Oh, you got to go to college and university and you got to get a good job and, you know, you're going to go work somewhere. And, um, so I, you know, I wasted a lot of time, uh, doing things that didn't interest me so much, um, going to university. And then eventually like I realized that wasn't working. And so, you know, I had my, uh, my train station ticket job, which was great. Um, you know, for the time being, but I was also in, you know, three different bands. All I cared about was music. It's all I wanted to do. All my free time was going to shows or going to band practice. Um, you know, and that's where all my money went. And I thought like, okay, I need to just focus on music and ended up going to recording school, which was cool. And that, you know, really, really showed me what was possible. And it was like, I should have been doing this the whole time. I'm so happy. Like it was the first time I was excited to go to school my life, you know, really excited. And, um, you know, it, it was a great experience. And however, I, I will say that like, it was a great experience for, you know, 2003 when I went, I wouldn't recommend most people go to recording school now because I think you can learn so much more from the internet and just like buying gear and experimenting and recording your friends' bands. And, um, you know, there's so much information available online uh, and so much more gear is cheap and accessible compared to like when I was like, you know, just, just out of high school, you know, you, you couldn't buy a pro tools rig. Most people, no. um, you know, like that was in its, that was in its infancy and it was super expensive. Um, and uh, you know, you had to have a really great computer to even be able to do those things, you know? So then there was, you know, people were still, but between using like digital recorders, like, like ADATs and Tascams and, um, DAT tapes and stuff like that. And, uh, so I was kind of in that, that sort of like coming up in that gray area between where like analog was being phased out and new technology was coming in and, and, uh, you know, and stuff like, um, stuff like logic and pro tools were like really in its infancy in a lot of ways. And, uh, so I was kind of like learning and, you know, as I, as I started like, you know, recording professionally or being recorded professionally, uh, you know, by guys like rats and, and, um, Gavin and Kenny, um, I think like I had a million more questions cause there was all these gaps in my education that it was like, Oh, I don't really know what a compressor is doing. I don't really know. Like I know what an EQ does cause I use one on my amp all the time, but like, how can I use it to make a better mix? I didn't know that yet, you know, and I, I needed a lot of, uh, a lot of practice. And I, I got that practice by recording my own band and making our demos. Um, and I, I started really focusing on like what I could do to make our own demos sound better. And, um, so, you know, through years of doing that and documenting our own writing processes, I, um, I, uh, you know, had a little, you know, set up in our jam space. And that's when I started recording my friends' bands uh, as well. Just kind of like, you know, hearing them talk about, Oh, we want to record this guy, but he's charging too much money. And I was like, I'll do it for half. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, whatever. Like, and then, you know, come down to the jam space. Like let's record some stuff. 
And, um, you know, and I had a lot of fun with that. And I was like, kind of really opened my mind, um, you know, like to like, wow, like I can do this in my spare time. I can do even more music. <laughs> and, uh, I think like, you know, that was about 10 years ago when I started, started doing my, my friends bands. And again, I just started kind of collecting gear as I went and learning on the way. And, um, it kind of became this thing where like, I, I had a lot of fun when I was sort of took a producer's role, you know, like I, at the beginning, I was just like trying to engineer records for my friends, but then they would get stuck in the middle of, uh, uh, you know, working on a song and I would say, well, Oh, you know, I learned how to fix these problems like years ago, uh, you know, from working with these producers, like here's what you need to do to fix the problem that you have. Or like, let's look at things this way. And, Oh, you guys don't know that if, <laughs> you know, like these kinds of tricks to make a chorus pop or like this extra, like, you know, thing that I learned like in the studio, like that, you know, can make everything sound so much better or, or more memorable or whatever. Like, and what I kind of realized is that I, I really got like a, a, a kick out of helping people like grow, you know? And it, it really felt like this, this kind of like uh revelation to me where I, you know, could take all these amazing things I learned from so many talented producers and engineers over the years that, and, and, you know, and put that to like good use to help other people, grow musically and make really cool records. So then I, I started, uh, you know, working out of another studio and trying to actively find bands where I would say like, Hey, I, I don't want to just record you. I want to produce you. And a lot of people don't really know what that means. Cause it can mean a lot of different things depending on the genre. And, uh, you know, but I really approach things from a songwriting level with bands. And I would say, okay, hey, I'm going to come to band practice with you and we're going to write these songs together. Um, you know, show me your ideas. I'll give you feedback on them and what I think you should change. And a lot of that, uh, you know, went over like really well. Um, and it, it felt really good. And of course, like, because I had so many cool pedals and guitars, uh, you know, that these other bands like didn't have, cause they were, you know, just starting out. Like it was, it was really exciting for them to try all these things that like they didn't have access to otherwise, you know, if it wasn't for me and, I, um, you know, I, again, it's like, it kind of goes back to, I remember when Gavin brought me that bin full of pedals and was like, have at it, man. And I was just like, whoa, this is the coolest thing ever. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that was really cool. Like I want to do that for people too. So I've got my bin full of pedals that I like bust out and it's like, let's try this, you know, here's like guitar tone day. Like let's have fun. Let's go crazy. And like, and you know, I, I try and, you know, focus on like what I learned uh, you know, was like exciting and, and again, like really fun in the studio for me. And it's like, I try to recreate those scenarios, um, you know, when I'm working with, with, uh, with other artists and it's, it's really rewarding for me. Cause I, I know what that meant for me. And it's like, I just love paying that forward, you know, and, and that, and that's really cool. So a, a few years ago, I, uh, I got asked to produce a, a record by this, uh, punk band called deck piss uh this local band and they were like oh come record uh with us at my buddy's studio um in a town called hamilton which is near toronto and uh there's a studio called schoolhouse studios our buddy nick owns um come produce the record and we'll record and whatever and anyway so i met nick and 
he has this awesome studio called Schoolhouse Studios. Um, excuse me, and he um, he basically converted this two hundred year old schoolhouse into a recording studio. So we have like a big live room where the live room is the old original like classroom. So there's still like chalkboards on the walls, and it kind of has this like this cool, really like uh, you know historic kind of feeling. It has this like cool vaulted ceiling, and um, sounds awesome. Know, he had a lot of sweet. Yeah. Yeah. He had a lot of sweet gear. I brought all my, my cool gear. Uh, and we had a lot of fun making a record together. And I was just like, man, Nick, you're a great dude. And you're really talented at engineering. Like let's team up and like do this together. And so we made a few more records and eventually like there was, um, there's sort of like a, a lounge room that wasn't really being used. It's more like storage space. And I was like, I'm going to build this out as sort of like my producer suite within the studio. So I moved in, um, you know, had a desk built, uh, had my, all my gear put in and, you know, that's where I'm talking to you right now. And so I've, I've been here a few years now and, uh, Nick and I like make almost all our records together. And, um, what we kind of do is like, we've, we've got like a sort of a situation where, you know, he's got his control room, I've got mine and we can sort of like team up and, you know, if we're working on like a big project, it's like he can record, uh, you know, guitars and drums in his room and I can do like bass and vocals in my room. Um, you know, or if it's again, a bigger thing, I, I've got a team and, you know, an engineer can work in my room while I'm sort of like helping, you know, both sort of hovering and helping wherever I'm needed. Um, you know, if people need direction or, uh, you know, any kind of like, uh, you know, help, I, I can be there and we can, you know, make sure we get a record done, uh, faster and more efficiently. Um, I, it's like, you know, I, I like that we have this really sort of like, um, you know, specific kind of, uh, I guess expertise in, in, in working with like, like anywhere between like punk rock and metal, you know, that's kind of like what we sort of specialize in is like those kinds of bands, like also like stoner rock and doom and, and, and stuff like that. We love to, um, you know, we're not, we're not experts in, we're not going to make a hip hop record. Cause that's not what we're good at. You know, like we want to focus on what we know and put our talents to, you know, best use. And, um, I think, uh, it's, you know, I'm really lucky to have met someone like Nick to, uh, you know, be able to collaborate and, and work alongside. It's, it's really nice and important to have, you know, someone you can trust who, you know, shares a mutual vision. Um, I've also like, you know, just as an aside, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be hired by bands to go record in other countries. Like I, I worked with a, a band from uh, the Canary Islands uh, called This Drama, who are this amazing um, Spanish hardcore punk band. And, uh, you know, went over there, which I don't know if people don't know Canary Islands, there's this, it's sort of off, off the, uh, West coast of Africa. And it's sort of like Hawaii of the Atlantic and there's volcanoes and stuff. And I went and spent like a month recording with them in Tenerife, which is the Island, uh, that they live on. And that was amazing. amazing. I've wow. been, yeah, I've, I've, I've worked with artists in, uh, in, in London, England, um, you know, recording over there. I've made a record in Slovakia, uh, not too long ago, this awesome band called sleepy hungry. Uh, they just released their first single and it's, it's something I'm really proud of. Um, 
we uh, we just had uh, a band come over from China uh, to record with us at Schoolhouse um, called Spill Your Guts, who are some of like our best friends now. It's it's funny they're like uh, none of them are actually uh, Chinese. They're all people of like immigrated to China for one reason or another, and they met through their like mutual love for uh, heavy uh, music and hardcore and stuff like that. And, and uh, I met them on tour with cancer bats and uh, anyways, uh, we hit it off and they came over here and they've toured a few times. And what that's kind of allowed us to do uh, Nick and I is sort of realize how we can facilitate um, uh, you know, to add a little bit more value than just uh you know, Hey, we'll make you great record. It's like, okay, cool. Well, you know, because of a a lot of different things that, you know, Nick and I are involved in, like Nick builds uh, guitar cabs in his spare time. So we have this amazing collection of guitar cabinets that he's built and that we've both collected. Um, We all, we have a lot of like really great gear. And so one of the things was, is like when spill your guts came over, we were able to uh, rent them a bunch of our gear and help them set up a tour. And, and so now we kind of have a thing where it's like, you know, one of our partners, um, uh, he's a a tour manager that has a van and, you know, we can put them in this van with a bunch of great gear. Uh, they can go on the road, road test the songs that we've been doing pre-production on, come back, make the record. They've just like sold a bunch of merch on the road, helps them offset their costs for flying here and, and paying for the record. And it's kind of like this uh you know everybody wins kind of scenario it's it's a lot of fun and it it's it's really cool to like help a band come over here not only do they you know like come back with a kick-ass record but it's like they were able to grow their fan base and tour a country they've never played before um you know at the same time and and so we're we're you know doing that with more bands all the time is just trying to um give them a sort of like a full package experience really and it's like you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, like when I work with bands, it's like, it's not just even helping them with finding great tone and, and geeking out on pedals. It's so much, there's so much like career advice that goes into it because I immediately see all the pitfalls that I've experienced through bands I've been in and stuff I've learned from being in cancer bats. And I, you know, I don't keep my mouth shut. Like I, I want, I want to see people succeed. I want to see people do well. And I, I love passing on you know, the knowledge that I have, you know, through, uh, you know, the help I've got or the mistakes I've made and what I've learned from them and, and, you know, and try to like, give that, give that back to a next generation of bands and, and hopefully see all of them, uh, you know, flourish and succeed in their careers. Is um, there a big one that you could give to the listeners? Is there some, some experience that you had that is kind of universally applicable? Like don't do this or do do this or watch out for, <laughs> You know, beyond the obvious, obviously. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, you know, like don't, (laughs) you know, they're like, there's the really simple stuff. Like don't sign a deal that you don't understand. If you, if there's anything you don't understand, that means you need other people's opinions. You need to hire a lawyer. Like, I mean, those are things that, you know, most punk bands and stuff don't want to do. You know, we got really lucky that, you know, we never got ripped off any, anything crazy along the way but we know people who have, and you know, it's, it's, it's those kinds of things. It's also, um, I think like as much as, you know, again, the super obvious, it's like, take the time to like prepare 
uh, you know, coming into a studio, don't show up if you don't know um, what Your you're going to play for a certain yeah. song. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you know, it's just like, it, these are things that like yeah, are so basic, but like, you know, I, I used to come into the studio, not prepared, didn't have a guitar solo planned, thought I was just going to wing it. And, you know, it's like, cause I saw Kirk Hammett do it in a Metallica video once. And it's like, well, that's, you know, again, not really realistic. And, and, and it's sorry. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's Kirk Hammett. He, yeah. He's got the chops. He can do it, you know? And, and it, it's like, but um, you know, but that was just, you know, laziness on my part, whatever, you know, it's like, you figure it out, but it's, it's like going, Oh, okay. Well that's kind of like wasting everyone's time. So like, avoid those things show up with lyrics completed. Cause a lot of, a lot of people don't like, they just go, you know, they're too shy. A lot of singers are too shy to show them to their band. They're scared of criticism. So they keep it to themselves and then they go show up and they're like, I don't really have a verse here. And you're like, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, like, you know, we've got to do that. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, of course, like studio time's not cheap. So it's like, you, you don't want to waste those money and create like tensions that don't need to be there. Um, you know, and, uh, it, you know, it's funny again, that guitar solo thing, it's like, um, it's hilarious. Cause there's so many times where I've had, you know, bands come in and they, they don't have something finished and then I call them on it and then they reference that Metallica thing. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen that video too. It's okay. I, I know what you're saying, but I'm, I'm here to help. So like, let's, let's do that. And it's, um, it's, it, it's all good. I mean, I think like, uh, I, I think like the really, really big one, uh, more than any of that's just, you know, that's like practical stuff. I think the like the real main thing is that like, there's a lot of people that start bands and they don't have conversations about what their actual goals are because nobody thinks that they're banned. A lot of people don't start a band thinking about what could be possible. They don't think that they're going to take off um, and, and do really well. It's just a casual thing, whatever. Um, and then when things do start taking off, that's why, like you always see after the first or second record bands lose members. And so it's like, cause people aren't on the same page. They don't know their roles in the band. They didn't prepare. They don't know what going on tour is going to entail. They think like, you know, Oh, we got signed. I'm going to go on tour. And then I don't have to worry about money anymore. <laughs> it's like, no, you've got to worry about money even more, even more. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah no, no, no. It's like, this is, this is like, okay, you've been like, slugging it out locally it's like now you've got to do this for real and you've got to learn how to like budget and plan and and and, and those are things that like musicians are not good at and but they're so important to the success so it's like if you know like i i am so fortunate to be in a band with someone like my singer liam uh, who's very much like business-minded and you know really um uh, really uh, careful about doing things the right way so that like we didn't end up in some of those trappings. And um, it's uh, you know, I've learned a lot from that and, you know, and I, I, that's the thing that I, you know, really believe that, you know, one of the things that made cancer bats uh, last as long as it had, was like, you know, sort of like planning things in advance um, being really like having conversations. Okay. Like, what do we want to do? What are our goals for this? Where do we want to go? Okay. Our goal is to like do this band. So how do we do a band? Well, we should work on it as much as possible. So we should make the, make sure that the band is our job. So like, like, well, what do we need to do that? Well, we need to play shows. Okay. 
but what do we need to play shows? We've got to book shows or we got to find other bands to go on tour with or promoters who are willing to give us a chance and, you know, and lose 50 bucks to have us play to like 20 people, you know, and, but how do we make that worthwhile? Well, we give them the best show they've ever seen, you know, th- those kinds of things. It's just like taking things really seriously and thinking about it as not just like, a, Oh, I'm just going to turn up and whatever it's, you know, there's a, a lot of things that are very like, I think important for uh, musicians to discuss ahead of time. And that, and that's always one of the first conversations I have with a band uh, when I think about working with them, because I want to know where they're at. And I ask them these kind of tougher questions where I'll say, well, what are your goals? Do you want to, is your goal to be on the radio? Is your goal to just, you know, tour, you know, uh, 10 weekends a year and, and like, you know, be just kind of, be a sort of like a regional band or, or do you just want to be a local band? What, like, do you want a label to sign you? Like is, or do you want to be independent and you don't care because that's more important to you? Uh, you know, and, and a lot of people don't have that, uh, discussion with themselves and amongst each other. Uh, and, and it's really important that they do because once you have those like conflicting visions and, you know, I'm always going to, approach things first and foremost from, you know, from the aspect of like how I would do it if it was my band, you know, which was like do things, you know, 100% of the time, uh, you know, with the goal in mind and being like, Hey, I'm going to work really hard at this. Cause this is the most important thing to me. And, and, you know, and I, I stress, you know, in the studio, I'm like, I'm like, I'm tr- going to try to kick everyone's ass the same way Eric rats did to me on our first few records, like I'm trying to push them to be the very best versions of themselves that, that they can be, and that they maybe aren't even there yet. I'm going to try to, you know, be that personal trainer to like help them, uh, you know, achieve something more than they already have. And, uh, but I need that acceptance. I need that, uh, that passion and that drive. And it's, it's really hard to do that when you have people who aren't on that page. And, um, you know, and, and the cool thing was like discussing those kinds of things with a guy like Ross Robinson, who has, you know, lots of gold records and has worked with some of the, you know, biggest names in rock music ever. And him telling me about the frustrations that he's had with certain people, uh, when they don't believe, you know, and they're already playing at that top level. And he's like, yeah, you know I mean? If someone's not going to like buy into the process, you know, and, and do what they have to, to like achieve something great. It's really hard to get something great out of that. And, and, and I see it all the time. And that's why I'm always looking for bands that are, uh, you know, actually really hungry and, and, and serious and, and really care about what they're doing. And it's not just like, uh, Oh, this is, this is the band's just my party time on, on weekends sometimes, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a lot less interesting to me. I, I care about like, you know, doing something that really means something in the long term, And because that, that's what I can, I can do best. And that's how I can, those are the kinds of people I can help even more. Um, you know, the ones that are like as committed as I am. And, um, and I think that's where I get, you know, the most excited is, is, you know, when I'm in, in the studio and we're doing pre-production and, you know, it's like, I see a band who has like all this potential and it's like, okay, all they need is like some arrangement help. I can, 
I can show them like the power of arranging a song differently and like what it can do. I can show them like, oh, okay, if we like combine these amps together, this will give you this kind of sound and here's what's possible. And like you see they're like, they're like eyes widen and get excited and they go, whoa, yes. And and then they, like they get even more into what they're already doing and like, and then, you know, and then it's just like, you know, everybody's grinning and you feel like you've really like, um, you know, accomplish something. That's, that's like, that's what I love because again, I've had those own experience, those experiences of my own with my own music. And um, I'm just trying to like recreate those scenarios for other people. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a magical thing. You know, I've gotten lucky to have, you know, presented like nothing like at the level that you have done at all, but just presented some people with like, Hey, have you, I think this pedal or this particular thing would work really well for you. Um, and seeing the the like plug in and it does work like you think it does and their eyes, like yeah. you say, they light up. Uh, it's even cooler when like the whole room turns around <laughs> and it's like, oh, what did I you just that. do? Yeah, it's like, what did you all it did was, you know, change this one little thing or plug in this pedal or, you know, whatever. And then the whole room was like, does the whole like, it's like the owl head just turns around 180 degrees. Like, what is that? That's a weirdly satisfying yeah. feeling for somebody who's not in, like involved in making the music directly. It's like, I feel very, a weird smug satisfaction. Like, see, I was right. I knew, <laughs> I knew it sounded. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, of course it always, it always feels good, but you know, like, I mean, my goal is to do that with, you know, um, with, with the guitar pedal thing, but also with the, the songwriting thing. Right. You yeah. Know, like I think the like, arrangement. Yeah. People, yeah, it's because so many people like have these amazing ideas and, and they just need little tweaks to like, you know, take something from being good to great. And that's that's always my like goal is good to great. And, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that's something I picked up from Gavin Brown back in the day, um, you know, just making, uh, you know, like letting somebody in and 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 letting them be you know, the best version of yourself. You know, I, I, I had a, a conversation with, um, with, uh, the, uh, the singer of Gojira once. And, um, and he was telling me about how he felt the opposite in, in that he, uh, you know, felt like if he got too much input, it wasn't, true enough to his own vision. Um, and I, and I said, well, fair enough. Like you play in Gojira. I think your band's amazing. You're obviously doing something right. <laughs> right. So, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, 100%, like you're, you guys are like this unicorn savior of modern metal. As far as I'm concerned, like, hell yeah, keep doing that, man. <laughs> like you're, it, you're absolutely working. nailing it. So, yep. yeah, so yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And you know, there's guys like him or, or Devin Townsend, you know, that, are able to like push these boundaries that, you know, on a, on a level that the rest of us maybe aren't able to. And, and I envy that. However, I am so thankful to have been, you know, like blessed to work with some of the, like the talents that have shown me what's possible and, and, you know, how I can improve and, um, and, you know, and succeed in, in bigger and better ways with, with my own ideas, with just a little help from them. 
you know, right. And, and trusting right. their guidance. And it's, it's really cool. You know, it's like, um, you know, and I've been through a lot of different journeys, like again, working with a guy like Ross Robinson is completely different than working with Gavin Brown or Eric Ratz. You know, they come, they're from a bit more of a technical, uh, minded approach. Ross is very much like exclusively raw emotion and chaos and spontaneity. And so, you know, my first time working with him, that blew my mind open in a whole other way. Like I was terrified of it. I go, what do you mean? Like, we need to like, you know, we got to nail like a perfect take. And he's like, I don't care. Hit your guitar so hard. It goes out of tune. That doesn't matter. You know? And I was just like, <laughs> ah, okay. Like everything I've learned doesn't make sense anymore. What's going on. And you're, you're able to like create an entirely different piece of art just based on the approach. And, you know, and, and it's so cool. And, and I mean, that, that was the, that was such like a liberating thing because, you know, I, I've been schooled in a singular way of recording and then just shown like what's possible you know, from the, the complete, uh, you know, <laughs> from a completely different universe, it felt like. And, and that was like, it was really, really challenging for me and, and hard to accept at first. And then once I kind of let go of what I knew, I just got, oh, okay. Like there, there are really are no rules. There's like some great rules. Like there's some guidelines that will take you, you know, super far and, you know, and it'll go this way. But if you like are open to like these other ideas too, that's where like, you know, like really exciting creativity can come into play. And, and, and so that's what I, you know, is try to approach is like, okay, how do I make the best sounding record for the situation? What's going to really benefit, you know, am I going to take, uh, you know, a band in the studio and it's like, they need to, they sound better when they play live than, than they do when they're not like, okay, forget the click track. Let's, let's do something more raw. Let's, let's, let's capture excitement and energy, um, you know, versus, uh, technical perfection, you know, it's gotta be appropriate. And, and I love that I've been able to, you know, learn from people who do, uh, both of those things at the highest level, you know, just letting creativity flow and, and art take its journey or, you can, uh, you know, do the opposite and like make precisely the decisions that you want to happen. Uh, you know, which I, to me is like, you know, great for problem solving. If it's like, if I want to clinically record guitar and I need, I need to like avoid a certain, you know, like a tuning problem or an intonation thing, uh, in terms of playing, I know how to approach those, but I also know when to let a player like rip a little bit harder on his own. And, uh, and, and not hold back if it's like a special piece of performance, just because it might've been like drifting and pitch a little bit. Well, maybe that's cool. You know, Tony Iommi did it all over the place. Nobody complains, <laughs> you know, people love Black Sabbath. It's great, you know, but in the same way, you know, again, you'll listen to somebody like Devin Townsend play guitar and it's, it's incredible. The skill and the the precision that goes into that. and it, and it's just as emotional or whatever. It's, it's just a, a different thing, but it has to be appropriate for, um, you know, the artist. And, and that's like, that's exciting for me is to like figure that those problems out and, and, and help, you know, somebody dial in. And I think like, uh, 
having um, a, uh, you know, a really creative studio space like we have here, um, you know, where we, we, we have full control and, you know, and, and free reign to like, let those things happen is really nice. You know, I've been in some more sort of corporate minded or extreme, you know, profit driven studios that don't, that sort of like suffocate those things. And that's not a good scenario. Like we need to like, you know, let loose and not worry about like the, you know, being nickeled and dime for every minute kind of thing. And, um, you know, I think that's, uh, again, why I feel really fortunate to have uh, a place like Schoolhouse Studios to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and again, it's like, it all comes back down to, like, uh, you know, I love being the guy to just open that box of pedals and bust stuff out that, like, people have never seen before. Mm-hmm. And they go, whoa, I didn't know a pedal could do that. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, uh, when we were making, like, Spill Your Guts, um I had, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like the pedals we used on that. Like we had a, um, a KHDK, uh, Ghoul Jr., which is, uh, one of my favorite overdrives right now. I, I, we were using that with a, um, we combined it with, um, what's it called, uh, a rocket scientist, uh, electronics pedal, um, called the Hangover, which is another amazing overdrive. Like, like double stacking these overdrives into an amp. And then we used like this, um, Salvation Audio Vivider, um, which is sort of kind of like a uh, an octaver pedal that does it better than any that I've ever played, and and create this cool fuzzy sort of like orchestral textures, you know, that a lot of times you wouldn't think would have any like place on a hardcore record, but we're able to like take those risks and see where like you know stacking these these cool like stomp boxes like where that can you know, inspire us to go and you go, Oh my God, that just like, you just came up with this whole thing that just like completely changed the mood of the song. And that was just like an inspired layer to add, like, man, like we didn't even have that idea. Like at the start of this album. Now, now it's like, now this is like blown everything wide open. What's it sound like if you add these kinds of textures on more songs and, and it's really cool to like see the evolution um, you know, by adding just a few like cool little pieces of gear along the way. And it's just like, that can be like little, little bits of encouragement, uh, that unleash creativity. And I mean, I'm all about that stuff, man. I have so many more things I would like to talk to you about, but we, we are almost at two hours, which is a uh, pretty awesome. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look I, at that. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I could do this all day, but, uh, I know that cool. people, People have other podcasts they need to check out, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah, of course. And they have uh, cancer bat albums they need to jam. So, I mean, there's that too. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, that, that doesn't mean we're totally done. I got a few classic questions for you to wrap this thing up, and then we'll okay, put, cool. we'll put a bow on. Let's it. Let's do it. All right. The first one is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, the Tu Two. <laughs> a lot of people say that a lot of people throw the tu2 really mm-hmm. yeah yep. see like i um i if, if, if i can talk about it for a second i um i don't have very many boss pedals at all uh that's one that i kind of wish that i uh still had because to me it was one of the best 
guitar tuners that I owned. I bought, um, when my TU2 finally died, I had to buy a TU3 and I thought it was terrible. Like they changed the algorithm and it didn't work the same and I could not tune my guitar with it for the life of me. So now I'm, now I'm a, a, a strict polytune two guy, but that, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I miss, I miss greatly the, uh, the, the TU2 and it's like, being one of those pedals that you could just go to any guitar shop and buy anywhere in the world and you could get your tuner. And then when they stopped selling that, I had like this, there was like a, like a year long crisis where I was like trying to find used TU twos to try to, so that I wouldn't be out of tune on tour. What does something about change? I haven't, I haven't played the TU three. So I, or well, you don't play. Well, see, see, okay. So this is, this is the thing is that like with, uh with drop c tuning uh this is where you start to run into problems um and this is like sort of a technical geeky thing but um the way that i tune my guitar and the way a lot of people you know have shown me um to tune your guitar in the studio is to tune to the attack of the guitar so you're you're hitting at a certain level and a and a consistency so you're not just like tuning letting the string ring which then lowers in pitch after you hit it uh you know we're tuning to the start where the where the pitch is at its like highest in the in the spectrum of where the string is ringing and the problem is is that when you tune low to a certain point most pedal tuners can't detect below a d and uh or maybe even a c sharp and and so tuning the way that i had been tuning for years all of a sudden the tu3 wasn't able to track that and so it would able it would get the note if you would hit it and let it ring and then go flat but then oh. that means that every time every time you hit the string when you're playing really hard and i i hit my strings really hard the pitch jumps up and so it would be out of tune gotcha with the other strings so so like all my other strings it would tune fine but the lowest note it wouldn't and so at that point in time, the only tuners that I could find that would tune that string the way that I wanted to tune was the, uh, the Planet Waves uh, pedal tuner, which was had a great algorithm and tracked really well, but whatever, the internal electronics didn't sound that great. So I used that, that tuner for a long time to in a sort of a tuner out fashion where the tuner was out of my signal path. Um, and it could track really well, um, or the TU2 did that. And and I could find I would be like really in tune, but then they changed it on the TU3 for whatever reason. But then uh, when the Polytune 2 uh, tuner came out from TC Electronic, uh, they uh, their algorithm tracks it beautifully, and I can tune to the attack, and it's nice and in tune. And that's actually... Um, one of the main tuners that I'm using in the studio to get bands in tune all the time now as well. Um, and it uh, saves a lot of headaches. So, so yeah, anyways, that's just my little <laughs> rant about tuners. Cause I'm very particular about it. And, and that's why I'm like, Oh boss, like you should bring back a, a Waza craft or whatever. Like, yeah. And, and we always, we always had this, uh, we always had this joke, uh, in our band that like, um, uh, I think like Jay, 
uh, our bassist met somebody from Roland once and they were having like some drinks and, and I think the guy just like, as a joke kind of was like, Hey man, if you were to have like a signature boss pedal, what would it be? And he was like the TU2, that's what we want. The cancer bats TU2. <laughs> and it was like, it was, he was like, what are you kidding me? All the, like, you're not even going to say like, you know, something we like, you know, rare, we don't make anymore, like a slow gear or an HM2 or, you know, like all these things. And, um, yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of like the funny thing. So, so right now, currently, the only boss pedal that I do own is a um, is like a, a DS one that's like a, a Keeley modded uh, DS one, but I use that for a bass distortion exclusively. So that's uh, that's that. Yeah. All right, that that that's a good answer. Yep. That works for me. All right, this is the big one though. Yeah, this is the one that people freak out about. Okay, what kind of pizza do you like? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's gotta be, I prefer it in a circle. Okay. For circle pizza, because right. I like the, uh, I like going from the point to the crust. I, I like that pizza yeah. journey. I find square pizza is a bit of a cop out. And as much as people are like, Oh, you get all the best pits, best, you know, like if you get like a middle piece that has no crust, it's great. And I'm, I'm not into that. It just doesn't speak to me. Um, I like my favorite pizza is uh, wood oven fire. Mm. Uh, so like, I like my stuff a little bit more well done. I, I, I can, I can deal with like a pizza oven, you know, where they, they cook it properly. But like if the dough um, isn't made well, if it's, you know, I, I just can't back it. Um, I, I, my typical order, if I'm going to like order anything will be, pepperoni mushroom pineapple and basil and i like to finish that off and i like to finish that off with so the, the basil goes on afterwards it's not cooked uh and i would finish that off afterwards with a garlic chili oil on top and that would be like my dream pizza from from anywhere that would make it for me um and uh, high quality mozzarella and pepperoni is very important. Oh, yes. Very, very, very important. I won't state my feelings yeah. on pineapple because everyone already knows. But, you know, it's a, it's OK. Oh, I see. I don't know. What what are you? <laughs> obviously, you don't like it. Yeah, I you're one of those guys. Yeah, you well, don't like it. I see. I'm one of those guys, but I'm also not one of those guys because I a lot of people don't like pineapple on pizza. I just don't mm-hmm. like pineapple. End of story. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, fair enough. Fair so enough. I, I, I get you. Like I get you on that. Yeah. It's a weird thing see, to not like. See, my I understand. Yeah, that. I know I know what you mean. Like I'll, I'll say this. Like my I was never a pineapple pizza guy either, but that's because I'd only ever had Hawaiian pizza. And Hawaiian pizza is terrible because one, ham is just terrible. Like who well, wants ham? Who's like, ham. oh yeah, you know what I'm gonna eat? You know, I'm going to eat some ham. I just want some ham. And it's like, well, most of the time it's going to be a terrible quality ham. It's it's not going to be something really good. It's not going to be some like actually like nice cured piece of meat. It's going to be some like, you know, Hormel. essentially like a step away from bologna. Yeah. Something, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's going to be some like just like one, some Oscar Mayer nonsense that nobody really needs. And then it's going to be like, yeah, pineapple, which is something most people really like. You know, I can't include you in that, but <laughs> it's okay. And then I can't and be then, included in lots and of then things. Like, it's okay. It, 
Yeah, yeah. So, so like you know, what I mean, that was the thing. I never, I never liked it because I never liked Hawaiian pizza. But then somebody ordered it at a band practice I had years ago, where they did like pepperoni and pineapple, and I was like, hmm, I don't know. I, okay, I mean, I'm I'm having free pizza, so of course everyone wants free pizza. Of course, so we're gonna eat this free pizza. But then, but then, like the real like twist of it for me was that uh, my drummer. Uh, this guy Jet, he um had like a really strong like uh love for Frank's Red Hot Hot Sauce. I'm which, down. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, see, see, here's the thing: is that like different people across North America have preference to like what hot sauce brand. Like, in if you go to like North Carolina, like they only like have Texas Pete hot sauce. But, you know, like I'm, I grew up like kind of across the border from Buffalo. So, so like Frank's Red Hots, like that's the Buffalo sauce. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so putting Frank's Red Hot on pineapple pizza, that like, that changed my world. That was just like, oh my God, I never liked hot sauce and I never liked pineapple on pizza. But those, that combination just was like, this is it. <laughs> like I have arrived. It's like this sweet salty spicy like like mecca it was it was crazy and um and it's it's just i know it sounds ridiculous but i remember that very distinctly the first time i tried that combination (laughs) and so that's kind of what i that's kind of what i try to sort of recreate and that's why i'm like talking about the the chili oil at the end it's all like it's all important see if i didn't have the chili oil i would just love to douse some frank's red hot on it and so like that's one of the things like I'm like one of the only guys in my band who's not a vegetarian. And so like the cancer bat signature pizza is what we call tropical heat. And, and what the tropical heat is, is like a cheese, cheese and tomato, you know, tomato sauce pizza with pineapple and pickled banana peppers uh, on top and usually doused in some sort of hot sauce, uh, sriracha or, uh, you know, Frank's Frank, red hot yeah. usually. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so like, that's just such like a standard staple for me that like, I don't even think about ordering pizza without pineapple anymore. Like, it's just like, that's part of that experience that made me like pizza even more that I just like, that's almost my number one ingredient. Like if that's missing, I, I feel like I'm not really, I'm not really enjoying pizza as much as I could be. Well, next time you're in Portland, I got to take you to, to a spot. And uh, get you a cheese slice. Sizzle this, pie? Well, sizzle pie is not bad, but uh, but uh, I like sizzle pie actually quite okay. a bit. Okay. But there's another place called Checkerboard. Yeah. That I really like. That I Whoa, really really. I like. don't know it. It's a. Uh, it's yeah. It's not like super old. It's 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 been around for a little while. It's in like this place called Pine Street Market. That's like a bunch of different good restaurants all in one building. Um, but their mm-hmm. cheese slice. So like. I went there. I've, I've had it. I had had it a few times at this point, but I hadn't really like analyzed it. I just was like, man, this is really delicious. And me and my friend Jess went there and we we both got the same thing. We got a cheese slice and we got like this really fancy sounding like garlicky sausage slice. And I was super excited for that garlic sausage. Yeah. slice. And I ate. So I ate the cheese slice first because I'm like, this will be like dessert. We both got done with our fancy slices and we both kind of looked at each other and we're like, man, that cheese slice was so good. I wish I'd had that instead of the fancy slice, which is kind of kind oh. of crazy. So 
I still feel that way. I crave that slice once in a while. It's a good, yeah. good, good pizza. But uh, yeah. we'll see. So like uh, me, and, me and some of my friends, we call a, a really good cheese pizza a Home Alone. Okay, yeah, that's like, solid. Mm-hmm. Kevin in Home Alone just orders the, the cheese pizza all to himself. So that's kind of like our, our nickname for cheese pizza. I like it. The Home, Home Alone special. Yeah. But Are- yeah, you know what? I, I come back. I come back like a really simple slice like that. If it's done, if it's done really well, absolutely delicious. Oh, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll go around. We'll, we'll show you some spots next time you're in town. It'll be fun. I'm, I'm into it. Right on, man. Well, I would be remiss if I, I know we've, we've just blown all, you know, proportions or, or all notions of uh, having some sort of time constraints out the window. But I would also say as much as <laughs> I was gushing over your guitar stuff earlier, I have to say the other part of the equation that, that sucked me in and probably a lot of people can really relate to is uh, your your front man, Liam, is uh, he's one of the best. He's a, <laughs> he's one of the best front men. And yeah. I absolutely love his vocal style to death. So if you can pass that along for me. I would appreciate. Oh, for it. sure. I mean, I, again, I, you know, I said it before I was talking about his sort of his business prowess. But I mean, you know, like when you kind of. Um, you know, when you start working with a lot of bands like I do in the studio, you kind of notice what makes certain bands stand out and work more than others. And having a really great charismatic frontman is, uh, you know, up there with one of the most important things, you know, any band can have, you know, just that, that front person that, that really can captivate an audience and, and make it seem effortless. And I mean, Liam has that in spades and, you know, we're really lucky, um, you know, to have someone that talented and, and just, uh, you know, and natural at what he does. Like, that's really who he is. You know, like he, he's like, he doesn't really like turn that off when you're, <laughs> uh, you know, hanging out with him. It's like, he's, he's really excited about a lot of things all the time. And, you know, and he's like really funny and telling jokes and, and, and that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's the guy he is. And he's, you know, born to, to do something like that and get on a stage and, it's uh yeah i mean i couldn't um you know i couldn't uh, say enough about that because i think like he is very much one of the best at what he does and he's you know it was really cool to see him evolve in in terms of like a singer and where he's at now compared to like if i listen to like you know our first demo that we made in 2004 and it's like you know the personality was all always there and he just uh you know just took singing and got really good at it (laughs) and um and really like, uh, you know, he's always like been, you know, a major part of, of like, uh, our, our success. And you know what I mean? It's, it's like, uh, I was really fortunate to, uh, you know, to be friends with him and have a chance to start a band with him. Cause I remember the first time I saw him sing for a band, uh, like years and years ago. And I just thought it was awesome. The band even wasn't even like amazing, but like I remember like seeing this guy like scream this sort of like he was kind of in this sort of like uh, this old school sort of screamo band called Vincent Black Shadow. And I saw him like running around screaming at people, but smiling while doing it. (laughs) And it was like, I don't know, it just it was so different than like what I was used to. And I mean, he was kind of my friend already, but it was like, I don't know, there was something where I was like, I love this. This is great. And then. You know, so like when we actually did start Cancer Bats, it 
you know, and he kind of continued that thing. Like I was really happy because it was like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, now, now I get to like, you know, like think of like, okay, now I can write songs, you know, to together with Liam that will like, um, you know, focus on those qualities and like, and, and, and let us like use that as like a way to, uh, you know, inspire, you know, writing something totally different. You know, I, I, you know, I've been, I've been pretty lucky. I think like my whole musical career, I always had bands with guys that were like very, very much like amazing on stage. You know, I was just, there's a lot of talented people in Toronto. Um, it sure seems <laughs> that way, but I, yeah, you know, but I think, I think like Liam was just the complete package where there'd be people who were like great at actually performing. Uh, but like Liam's funny enough, I think to be like a stand up comedian in his own right. If he just wanted to do that, he'd probably be great at it. And so I think there's like, not only can he like captivate the audience while he's doing what he does really well, it's that he can, you know, he can also talk to the audience and, and not have it be really awkward. You know, he can invite people and, and sort of like, look at the person at the back of the room who's maybe kind of like sitting there with a frown and then slowly like rope them into the pit and get them like really excited uh, when they didn't expect it. You know, it's, it's like really uh, unique to have that gift. And I mean, he's got that in spades. So I think it's super cool. All right, man, we should, we should call this thing. Where can they find you on the interwebs or otherwise? And what do you want people to search for when they're done with this? Okay. Uh, yeah, I've got my, uh, own website. Uh, it's Scott Middleton producer.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook under the same thing. Scott Middleton producer. Uh, my Instagram is scope city S C O E B C I T Y. Uh, that's just a goofy nickname. So don't think about it too hard. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, of course, cancerbats.com If you want to check out my music, um, and, uh, schoolhousestudios.com, which is where, uh, I record out of. And, uh, yeah. Anyone interested in uh, making music or, you know, having me mix a record, any of that kind of stuff, like, uh, please don't be shy to hit me up. I love uh, talking to everybody and and checking out new music all the time. Very excited. Right on, man. Thank you so much for coming on. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Blake. All right, everybody. For Scott, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, that is a wrap. That one was awesome. I mean, I'm legit telling you guys, I'm a super fan of that band. So I, you would have told me back in the day that I was going to be interviewing Scott, I would have told you that you're crazy. So this is this has been fantastic. Uh, fantastic getting to know him and having more conversations with him about all kinds of different stuff. So fun, 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 fun. All right, thank you for tuning in. Please, please, if you haven't already, tell a friend. Tell a family member, tell your bandmate, tell somebody that you know is going to be into this show. If, if you like it, you made it this far into the podcast, next thing you do, as, as soon as you can, just tell a friend about this. Would mean the world to me. Really would. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you folks next week. Bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. 
as I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com StringJoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.